Alright, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, Trung fan, me Master Flex himself, Jack Butcher. It was his birthday this weekend. Say say happy birthday on Twitter to him, founder of Visualized Value. And we have a very, very special guest today, our man Tetranode. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to have you guys uh, having me on the show. Yeah, I don't uh, go on podcasts a lot, but when I do, it's just like it's. It feels good to you know share with the public like my uh, my story and my perspective. So uh, glad to have you guys. Can we talk about the irony that the show is called Non Investment Advice, and you're about to deliver so much alpha? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's let's paint a picture for for the people who don't know who you are, Tetranode. Could you just kind of give us a, a brief background on kind of who you are, um, and just introduce yourself? Yeah. So I started out like working minimum wage, you know, and then I learned about like Bitcoin, and I listened to a podcast from from Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, I also uh, watched like World Bitcoin Network one hundred and one, and I pretty much just educated myself about cryptography, you know, while, while working as, as like a dishwasher. And so after a few, uh, good decisions, a series of good decisions, I am here, you know, sharing my story of how I succeeded, you know, from first principle. So, uh, yeah, so I, I started out as, as like a dishwasher. And so a coworker was telling me that, uh, there's this Bitcoin, right. And, uh, there, there was like the Silk Road uh, crash, the sorry, sorry, the FBI uh, Silk Road raid, and uh, Bitcoin crash, and and I've been tracking it for several years, so I, I just jumped in, and the rest was history. Was that 2012? 2011? No, that was 2014. Yeah. Okay, 14. Yeah, I, I learned about Bitcoin because I was like a PC gamer. You know, I was in college and I uh, I built PCs, right? So while everyone else was just, just like studying for their MCAT, I, I just came until, until like the break of dawn. Right. And, uh, I wasn't very successful in, in, uh, school in, during my college days. So, uh, you I study? graduated, What'd you I study? graduated kind of, uh, two, 200 out of 224, uh, of my class. You know, I, I have like a, uh, I, I wouldn't say like a medical uh, related degree, but I'm, I'm just trying to keep myself anonymous, but basically I have a biology degree. Okay. Right. And so with, with like a biology degree, you can do like several things. You can go to med school, you can work as like a biologist or you can go to grad school, but I didn't do any of that. So I ended up working as a minimum wage uh, job, you know? So in a meanwhile, I just, you know, listened to, to like podcasts about crypto and, and Bitcoin. Cause I, I was a, a, a very prolific torrenter because I, I download like, like free music, you know, and, and sometimes uh, free video games too. So I'm very familiar with, with like Napster and BitTorrent. So when I heard about Bitcoin, you know, I, I thought like, Hey, you know, what kind of money is, is like, they, they have some kind of hashing or immu- immutability. I mean, what, what is all of this, you know? So I went down the rabbit hole and, and, uh, I, I understood it, you know, from, from the cryptography level. Cause the first question I asked was how would I be able to move that money, you know, without being, having it duplicate. So cryptography answered the question, mining and hashing answered the question. Uh, yeah. 
Love it. And Tetron, if you, are we able to share a, a sense of scale? Because I know you've kind of talked about this on previous podcasts, but just to not, so we're not burying the lead, you kind of went from a dishwasher to, I've got written here in my notes, nine figure whale. Is that, are we allowed to share that? Or um, are we bleeping this right now? <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny like, like okay. any uh, financial uh, sizing. But if okay, you watch cool. the blockchain carefully, you can come to your own conclusion. There we go. Outside. Okay. <laughs> Check the chain, as our friend Jack Butcher loves to say. All yeah. right, so either way, and, and this one of the things you kind of shared with us, because um, th- this kind of came about, I think you and Trung were talking on Twitter in the DMs, and you had listened to our, or a part of the Michael Saylor episode we did, right? Yeah. Um, and, and for people who haven't heard that, Michael Saylor is a Bitcoin maxi, you know, he's the head of MicroStrategy, he's a massive buyer of Bitcoin. And you uh, have obviously kind of come up in, in a different world, even though you originally got introduced to Bitcoin, um, mm-hmm. but you're now very much involved in the DeFi space. And you kind of told us, well, look, I've got so much skin in the game. Like I'm working and I'm actually operating in DeFi. I'm not just speculating on it. I'm actually working in the trenches on this stuff. Yeah. So could you give us a little bit more on that? Like, what does it mean to have skin in the game at the scale that you're at? Okay. Having skin in the games means like, you know, writing the specs for the protocol, uh, market making, let's see, uh, meeting with the founders, you know, like understanding the math behind the tokenomics and showing them like, like, uh, treasury management and pointing out like, uh, treasury bleed. So let's just say like, like you're doing like, like some kind of yield farm operation on DeFi, you know, getting yields for your U S dollars. And so on the other side, you know, you have people like me, uh, sort of specking out like, like the yield protocol and how we can be able to, to sustain that yield without, um, uh, bleeding out our treasury, you know, so that that's, that's tokenomics. And, and so if you're doing some stable coins, like, like you're hosting a bunch of stable coins on DeFi, you know, and, and if I'm working on that stable coin, how would I be able to sustain the, the peg of that stable coin, you know, without uh, impacting the treasury? Because it takes like energy, time, and, and of course, money to uh, sustain that, that stability. So those are my, my specialties, tokenomics and, and stable coin stability. And, uh, Got it. Yeah, treasury no, but, yeah. So when you say specifically the skin in the game, those are the features that you're talking about versus yeah. something that will just invest or trade, quote unquote. But I think it got a little bit spicier in the DMs. Uh, you were not happy with the uh, sailors take that Ethereum based kind of coins or anything that you are discussing is quote unquote unethical. Like, could you address that directly? Yeah. So, uh, just, just as a preface, you know, like I'm a hardcore gamer. I used to be a competitive, like Starcraft gamer. Um, and I frequent like, like the team liquid forum and, and there's just like this thing that, that I see constantly in DeFi that I see in, in Starcraft that there's constant theory crafting from people without skin in the game. You know, you're, he's, uh, Michael Saylor sits in ivory tower, you know, and, and he's, he's like talking about like ethical this and, and ethical that, you know, the, uh, thesis I have, the, the hypothesis that I have is, is clearly testable. And so if I go in, you know, I ask myself, like, does it have an impact on the market and how enforceable is that idea? So sailor, you know, it's, it's just like, Oh, it's a security, this and a security that, and I've seen in the past that, that he, he likes to promote government regulations, you know, on, on DeFi saying like, clearly Ethereum is a, is a security. So he is not a cypherpunk. He's, he's more of a, uh, what would I call this? A demagogue, right? 
So he doesn't understand DeFi. He doesn't understand DeFi. I know he's a very smart guy, you know, and, and he became a billionaire because of that. But he's way out of his depth, you know, talking about things that he has no skin in the game in. Now, for me, if I have something uh, I want to test out, you know, I have a falsifiable hypothesis. In fact, I, I test in prod. But um, for him, he's just theory crafting. Not, nothing that he says, you know, is, is, is even remotely actionable. So I would put him in, in the league, you know, like when it comes to Ethereum, and I'm not talking about him as a person, you know, like, like when it comes to DeFi and Ethereum, I consider him an intellectual yet idiot. Oh, the yeah. Nassim Taleb uh, uh, framing for the listeners that aren't yeah. familiar, the IYI. So basically, Taleb calls basically uh, New York Times journalists intellectuals yet idiots uh, when it comes to subject matter they don't know about. I love that yeah. you pulled that out. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, like, like for Sailor, uh, if you want to be poor in DeFi, you know, listening to Sailor is the fastest way to get fucked halfway to the poor house. Yeah. Just don't listen to him. You know, listen to people with skin in the game. It's like, like me, you know, or, or other DeFi founders who, who actually run and, uh, and spec out the protocols, you know, and, and actually market make the stuff. So we have a sense of, of like when things go wrong immediately. What about Sailor's more 50,000 foot view, uh, basically being, okay, I don't really know if this is a real use case and it's taking energy away from other people that want to work in the space. And his whole argument in our podcast was, listen, Bitcoin is as good as it gets for decentralized uh, commodity, or he believes Bitcoin's a commodity yeah. and that the SEC will do, will classify it as such. What do you say to him basically saying, listen, you're just sucking away energy from the solution that's already there. You're basically reinventing the crypto wheel. Why don't you just build on top of Bitcoin? Hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a question that, that can come from, uh, I have several perspectives on that question, you know? So the question is, is Bitcoin like, like the, the be all uh, settlement of, of value and, and, you know, currently the, the market is pointing out to be yes. However, uh, with the mining incentives, you know, the halvening running low, the, the basic question is like, how do you sustain that security level that, that is incentivized by, by, uh, by inflation, by, by Bitcoin inflation. So with every halvening, you have a security budget that that's getting cut in half over time and Bitcoin's price is expected to, to rise up to, to meet that, that budget expectation. So let's just say like, like several halvings from now, you know, the, the budget is, is almost like zero. So the instance, if the double spend and attack by miners, you know, like, like the reorgs uh, becomes greater. So let's just say if a miner is like receiving like, like 0.1 Bitcoin, you know, per day, and someone comes up with, to them and, and say like, hey, you know, we can pay you a hundred Bitcoins to reorg that chain, you know, if it ever gets to it, reorg like, like these certain amount of blocks, um, would you be willing to accept our bribes? And, and the incentives just grows over time and, and very large exchanges, you know, not necessarily malicious, like Binance have, have considered those kind of attack before. And it becomes very real when the incentives run low. So the security budget of Ethereum, on the other hand, you know, is dynamic and, and um, it's, it's inflationary, but it's, it's also every transaction burns Ethereum. So there is a supply sink. So the equilibrium might be negative uh, over the next like, like 10 years, you know, given EIP 1559. 
and yeah. and so could, you kind of alluded to it there but I've, I've heard you and others talk about this phrase the triple halvening and you were talking mm -hmm. about the bitcoin halvening just yeah. a second ago right could you mm -hmm. I know we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit on the eve side but could you explain what what that idea is and why it's important as it relates to eve sure so the merge is coming up uh it's terminal right now you know we decided like hey we're gonna do the merge around september 15th you know give or take uh one week uh what that's gonna do is is reduce like the inflation by 90 percent you know so that's three happenings in a row and taking into account that every transaction on ethereum level one burns uh, a small amount of uh, ethereum with enough usage the net uh, inflation will be negative so that that's going to be uh the ether supply uh, in practice cap. When they say like Ethereum has no uh, supply limit, you know it's technically true, but in practice, where's the where's the uh, steady state of that? So we're about to find out um, in the next few months. Got it. And and so that's with with the merge that's happening in September, right? The proof transition to proof of stake. Definitely, yeah. It's exciting to see like like you know these these ideas that that have been like like uh, passing back and forth you know within the community for for like five or six years and and um, technical difficulties you know being solved and and eventually we came to agreement that the merge is is a solution. In fact, it, it was part of the social contract since two thousand fifteen, but the implementation you know have changed over time. So yeah. And you and you've been involved with uh, Ethereum all the way back since 2015, right? I think you say you dollar cost average at around three bucks. Is that correct? And you've been holding the entire time? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. I mean, like I I don't think I I sold like like the first uh, Ethereum that that I bought. So it, it was a, a long trip. You know, I've I've uh, suffered a lot of setbacks, but um, you don't really lose if you don't sell. Wait, how many drawdowns yeah. you've taken? Over 90 percent. Yeah, yeah, I've I've uh, taken a lot of like ninety percent hits, and I'm still here. I'm not really faced by that because like, yeah, yeah, coming from where I am from from like like you know uh, a dishwasher to like maybe nine figures, but numbers, but I'm terrified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, my living standards have not changed since 2017. You know, despite mm. like like appreciating uh, in in the net worth, so um, everything past like a certain valuation it's just like head games to me and so what do i do with the rest of the money i i go and retire other people i go and uh invest into DeFi to to kind of uh start dominating the market so that's that's the thing to me to get twofold so one to get people to get a cohort of operators like me you know to where i am and two to kind of uh corner the market in the DeFi game so i can uh you know, continue what, what I've been doing. Cause honestly, right, right now I can just like walk away and just relax on, on a warm beach, uh, on a tropical Island. But after like, like a little while, I'll probably just be become like bored with it, you know, and come back to right where I am in, in DeFi. So here I am. It's just what I do is what gets me up in the morning. Can I ask an honest question though? You talked about the, the drawdowns and like, that's really cool that you haven't really uh, had that kind of lifestyle creep that a lot of people get when they get X amount of money. Um, yeah. But was there a time like early on where you were going from dishwasher salary to probably not having that many savings, I'm assuming, to yeah. where you met your first, let's just say, 
100K, million dollars, whatever that threshold is, where it starts becoming life-changing money, right? Yeah. Was there a moment at that point where it did draw down and you said, actually, look, I'm being silly here. I need to like take some take some skin out of the game or like, I'm just curious like what that was mentally because in full transparency, like all of us who have gone through it in the last, you know, I mean, Jack and I have been yeah. in this stuff since like maybe 2016, uh, 17 or so. So not as long as you, but um, even this last like bear market we've just gone through, we've talked about it live on the pod, right? Like 80% drop, we're planning for it. And then it comes and mentally is always different to what you planned, right? So I'm yeah. just curious, like what was it like the early stages when you were, when you actually made life changing money and you needed to, 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 you know, kind of keep your head cool. Um, I didn't do anything when, when I got like my first hundred thousand, you know, when I hit seven figures, there was no celebration or anything like that. I just kept my head down and, and operated because like that, that's my whole mentality. The, that mentality, you know, prevented me from cashing out, you know, and, and getting a nice car at 100 that mentality prevented me from buying a house, you know, at, at seven figs. And it wasn't until some valuation where I felt like, Hey, I can get like this house at, at a certain percentage of my for portfolio that I finally just like executed and acted on it. And when the market turned against me, you know, like, like I've had several market downturns before that. So I just kind of weathered it out, but I'm, I'm very like, like cold and clinical when it comes to like money. So I, I don't celebrate, you know, yeah, just very autistic about it. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't celebrate, you're also not like losing your mind when you're getting these insane drawdowns. Yeah. yeah. You're not that attached to the number. Yeah. Because like before I entered crypto, you know, like, like I played a lot of Starcraft and, and I learned when not to get overexcited, you know, and, and when not to get scared, even if you're, you're down to like one base, you know, like, like when you're totally destroyed by the opposition, there's always hope as long as you operate, you know, if you're, you're bleeding out, you operate, if you're on top of your game, you keep silent and, and keep pushing your advantage. You know, there's no reason not to operate. So the key word here is operate, operate, operate. Cause in any situation you ask yourself, what are you going to do about it? You know? So the question is like, what's actionable. So I don't look at my position and celebrate. I operate. Love it, man. Yeah. We did a whole episode on, um, what was it? Building versus betting Jack. Jack had a yeah, visual yeah. on visualized <clears throat> value. And uh, we, it was kind of a turning moment, I think, almost for the pod where we realized like, okay, the last year has been really fun. We've been flipping, you know, monkey JPEGs on the internet, but we need to put our heads down again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we also heard you talk a little bit about, uh, in, in the DMs, you, you mentioned something about sh um, Ethereum is shattering every single metric except for market cap. And, you know, this was maybe a week ago. So we've actually had a nice little uh, rally in the last week or two. Um, but w when you say that, like it's shattering all the metrics, like what are you looking at from, from a high level? Uh, and like, this was almost kind of rebuttal to what Sailor was talking about, right? Like he thinks it's not, he thinks it's a security and it's unethical, but for someone like you, you're a technologist, you're looking at what people are actually using with the technology. So what are those kind of metrics like? Yeah. Well, the keyword here is technologist and, and you're completely correct in that regard. Like I'm not looking at it like, like in terms of, of uh, whatever, like the technology and what is being used right now is that it's being used to move money, you know, across like it's used to settle money. So which one settles more money, Ethereum or Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, carries like, like billions, billions in, in, in uh, stable coin value. So it's being settled, you know, any kind of smart contract, any uh 
trading or it changes. So Bitcoin is kind of like, okay, you know, you move value from A to B, but Ethereum is the entire financial infrastructure is built on top of it. You know? So the equivalent here is like Bitcoin is gold, but Ethereum is e-commerce. You know, gold has like an 8 trillion market cap the last I checked. Well, what is e-commerce? Probably in the trillions, you know, if not hundreds of trillions. So um, when, when you're looking at the metrics, like, like on-chain activity, you know, like including like L2, um, all the traffic is, is basically on, on this chain and all the money locked is on this chain. You know, you have like other L1s that have like, like billions and it's found out to be a house of cards. Like Solana had, had like, you know, 10 billion and, and it had like that app that, that kind of recursively, this, this developer that kind of recursively put the TBL in, you know, and, and faked it. It's all fake metric. Because when you're looking to, if you're a whale and you're looking to store like nine figures of, of money, you know, on which chain Solana constantly shuts down, you know, like, like AVAX, maybe, maybe not, you know, it's kind of, kind of mid, um, but between, <laughs> uh, Ethereum and, 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 Bitcoin, you know, like, like those are the only game in town, you know, the rest are, are kind of engineering trade-offs. They're not like, like any kind of breakthroughs. Hmm. What would what would be a fair criticism of Ethereum if you were being like if you were looking from yeah I know you're like a first principles thinker the same way right. Sailor was you know saying some unfair things are there some fair criticisms that you think are quite valid still? Hmm. Ethereum has engineering problems. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ethereum has engineering problems that still is yet to be uh, solved such as like the sharding and execution layers, you know, the, the pace and, and the efficiency in which it's being solved, you know, is, is not like uh, straightforward because decentralization and, and everybody has like this opinion and that opinion. And sometimes we tend to bike shed over the solutions. Right. But I think the, uh, the the kind of the the excuse here if, if i'm using the term correctly is that decentralization is, is a very messy process you know and and there's going to be a lot of mistakes but ultimately if one group of, of development or idea fails then the next just steps up and lines up you know it's, it's not like a centralized uh chain like like solana where or okay you know like like if the solana foundation fails then then pretty much like it's uh there's no developers left because the money just runs out got it boys any you guys got any questions on the east yeah, side I was, uh, yeah i was gonna ask about um just how you evaluate new protocols, new projects built on top of Ethereum. Like what do you look for? What's interesting to you? And um, you know, what in, yes. in the time since you've been doing that, what have been the, the best decisions you've made? Okay. So the background here is that, you know, I was initially like, like a, a crypto holder, like, like for the first four years being in crypto, I basically held Bitcoin and, and held Ethereum. So hold was, was just the, the, the motto at the end of the day. And then, you know, after Uniswap came about, I, I began to explore like, like opportunities on how to make money off of the yields, you know, so I, I turned some Ethereum into USDC and started market making for Uniswap. I was one of the largest market makers uh, back in 2019. So, um, I operated, you know, and then I, I formed groups with, with like other farmers on, on tips on how to, to maximize yield for, for my money. And from there, the field of operation, 
from my field of operation, I can see like, like certain opportunities on the fringe of my operations, like, like, like Aave protocol, right? I'm able to borrow money off of Ethereum to farm for more stable coins. So the, the gist of it is, is how my, my, uh, sort of my, my, my prospects work is that I operate. And if something is in the fringe of my field of operation, it might be of interest to me. I start exploring it a little bit more. So in that sense, instead of being pitched like decks, I, I, I go, you know, and, and I, I become like the customer and I can tell right away whether that, that protocol works or not. And if I was, um, say if I was investing into it and I became a customer, I would just tell them, Hey, you know, you need to fix this part of your, your UX, you know, this would get you more customers. You need to, uh, you need to not treasury bleed here because nobody uses it other than farm and dump. So by, by just, you know, having skin in the game and, and operate in that protocol, I, I can become like, like the canary in the coal mine. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Follow-up question is, we talk about this a lot, like the movements of trends in DeFi. So you see like the massive adoption of a protocol and we tried to cover to the best of our abilities, things like the, um, I've forgotten the name of it. How have I forgotten the name of the huge collapse? Anchor. Anchor Anchor, collapsing. So like yield promises. Yeah, yield promises that are like way beyond the actual like functioning mechanics of the protocol. Right. Um, just curious for like what you think are the most sustainable. I think Uniswap like is an amazing mm-hmm. example of a DeFi protocol are there. Mm-hmm. Like use cases uh, beyond the like market making things that you, you, you think have a lot of potential. Yeah. If you're talking about like, you know, Celsius, if you're talking about like Luna and Anchor, if you're talking about 3AC, those, uh, those kind of group can be classed into CDFI or centralized DeFi in that they're taking customer deposits, you know, and you're trusting them not to run away with money, but they do something like, like, like just as bad, which is to kind of borrow from other people, you know, using that credit. So it becomes like, like a Lehman brothers. So CDFI is, is um, what we're trying to build, you know, to avoid in, in DeFi. And so those, those guys are not true decentralized finance at all. You know, your money doesn't live in a smart contract. Your money lives in, in their, in their wallets and, and what they do, you know, they, they take it to the casino and your money's <laughs> gone, you know? Yeah. And, and these guys are, are, are very dishonest actors. You know, they, they tell customers like, Hey, like Voyager tells customers that their deposits is FDIC insured. So in what universe, you know, is crypto FDIC insured? So, uh, they're, they're getting their, their assets dragged to court, you know, and it's going to result, but on the other side in, in DeFi, you know, like the deposits that they had in Aave, the deposits they had in, in, the uh, Uniswap, what, what lives in a smart contract lives in a smart contract. And, and they were the first one to, to repay Aave. Otherwise, uh, their, their stuff is, is gone. So it shows that DeFi is a first class citizen, whereas, you know, like, like the uh, TradFi part, the stuff that they put in the bank, you know, they, they can uh, wait in court, you know, they, they have like court ordered liquidations. It doesn't work so well, but in DeFi, if you don't repay your stuff, you know, we're going to seize your assets and, and that's that. So they have to obey the, the laws of smart contracts. So it feels like, like uh, who's, who is, is uh, CDFi and uh, DeFi just works, just hums along just fine.
Yeah. So if the money is not on chain, then it's, it's not really your money. Tetra, how yeah, we, were you when these things happen back to back to back? Because you're an operator, you're an investor. Obviously, the credibility of the space is really important to you. And you're just seeing these bad actors and the broad society media just paints it all together, right? Like the, 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 yeah. delinea <clears throat> the delineation you just made there between centralized DeFi and then DeFi, 99% of people are not going to understand that or know yeah. right away, right? Just from the headline. So what was your level of annoyance? And then where are you mentally about the whole thing now? Because I've heard in a, a previous yeah. podcast, you're like, I, I, I just kind of ignore it afterwards. Like that's, well, this tweet actually. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to just pull this out. Yeah. Yeah, so. For the listeners, <laughs> here's a great tweet. It says, uh, Tetranode tweeted uh, on August 6th, can't believe there were people betting on three ACs resurgence and my downfall. Betting on class of 2019 <laughs> against class of 2014. Sounds like something class of 2021 would do. I, that's something <clears> I would That's pretty brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they think, they think, you know, they tend to group me into the same group as like 3AC, you know, as Celsius and, and as like, like Doquan and, and the rest of the other actors, but I'm, I'm just like an end of one, you know, I'm, I'm a lone wolf. So, uh, I guess like, like they're, they're saying like, you know, like this, this guy's collapsed too, you know, but, uh, how should I put this? Okay. So the, uh, the CD5 group violates anti-fragility. What that means is that they borrowed other customers fund, you know, and, and if, uh, the, the anti-fragile, uh, thesis is that if you fail, you know, you only take out yourself. Right. So I could never do that because I'm fully solvent because like, like I have an income stream, you know, and, and, um, I've set up my, myself where even if I fell in one sector, it's gated off, but these guys, you know, have no stop loss. They have, uh, they over leverage. They, they think they can make the market into a bigger fish, like Alameda, you know, FTX comes along and, and liquidates them. So, uh, that, that's what happened. So they're, they're pretty much like, like, uh, running for their lives right now. Cause they violated multiple, multiple laws on, on banking, you know, cause they're holding customers fund. And so they're, they're basically traditional finance, uh, disguised as, as uh, TFI on the blockchain. Um, for me, I've, I've survived like, like several downturns, you know, and, and these kids just coming in into the game, they have no idea of, of like my history, you know, they, they, they don't even look at the blockchain. You know, it, it's, it's really clear that even if I'm worse, you know, I'm, I'm still like a thousand X from, from where check I the chain. As a, as a check the chain. Just, just check the chain. I love that you call yeah. them kids. That was my favorite. So. <laughs> yeah. So basically like, like, okay. So the group that, that, that really hates me is like the NFT influencers because what, what, what exactly are NFT influencers and what, what do they do? You know, they, they don't even know like, like what Uniswap is or, or, or what tornado cash is. Right. And so they come in, you know, and, and they play status games because like that, that's the only way that, that they're able to get ahead. So they, they start betting on my downfall, you know, and, and saying this and that, but I'm, I'm still here. So, uh, haters got to hate. And, Started from and the so, bottom. There yeah. we go. Listen, Jimmy uh, Fallon I, thought he could roll into crypto. Jimmy Fallon all thought he could come after Tetra. Yeah. I mean, like, all I got to do is just simply exist, you know, and, and, and that makes them salty enough. You know, I'm still here and, and I'm working with all the DeFi founders. In fact, like, the, uh, you know, the, the stuff that you see on Twitter is just like the tip of the iceberg. I have, like, in my group, all the way up to the Ethereum Foundation and, and even like, like you know, Vitalik himself, you know, in, in my private chat room, 
Yeah. So even as I'm clowning, you know, and, and, and just like, like saying this and that online at the end of the day, I'm pulling the strings. And that's because like, like from the beginning, I've always operated honestly. And if there's anything I don't know, I say, I don't know. Right. I'm not one of those like, like YouTuber, like, like moon Carl to say like, like, Oh, you know, buy this coin for a thousand X. That's not where I came from. You know, I, I came from like, like an engineering background. So I, I'm sorry. I, I think I told you that I graduated from 200 out of 224 from, from some like, like uh, uh, sort of biology degree. Well, there's a part two to that. I went back to school in 2016, right. For computer science. And then I graduated valedictorian. Game over. So, Respect. Yeah. 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 Buried the lead, man. You buried the lead. Yeah, there we go. Wait, <laughs> how many years later was that? Huh? Um, that, that was like, you know, maybe like eight years later or something. I dragged myself back to school in, in like 2016, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I think, I think, you know, everyone's at, at some place in, in their lives where, where uh, they're, they're better going to school, you know, or have some life experience. So I, I think it worked out better for me that I, I went out to have like real life experience before coming back to school and, and uh, less chasing girls, you know, back, back then, than than uh, 30 when, when I'm married, you know, and, and trying to get a living. So I'm able to focus on stuff. Wait, Tetra, you said, uh, you mentioned, uh, Taleb a couple of times now, actually, I would love for you to expand on the anti fragility, uh, of, well, the non anti fragility of three AC, but what is it? What is your definition of anti fragility and how have these drawdowns made you stronger or, yeah. um, you know, I, I love you to on that. Thread. Right. Right. Anti fragility means like failure is localized and not systematic you know the moment that you take on like you borrow other people funds it means like if the, the failure is is complete destruction of of you know your your well-being because you're going to be on the run for the rest of your lives you know and the question is is for 3ac was it worth it you know was it worth it to borrow customers fund you know uncollateralized and and now you know you're you're having to run to like you know some some middle eastern country devoid of your culture so was it worth it, you know, to have your, your family on the run and, and constantly hounded by courts and, and angry customers, you know, so we'll try and get them on the pod to answer, I mean, but I don't if, think it's I just like made a bad trade, you know, I'll, I'll wreck that part of my, of my portfolio, but I still have like plan A, B, C, and D to fall back on. You know, crypto's down, but real estate is up. So I, I don't think most people realize that, that, you know, what I do is the tip of the iceberg. And I still have the entire network of DeFi, you know, backing me up, you know, on chain and, and it shows. Right? Did, uh, so there's, there's parts like, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, there's, there's also like, like, like uh, when I had a lot of money, I also put in like, like sort of a soft annuity where you put in that sum, you know, and it pays out over time and you cannot touch it. So even though I, I bet like, like long on ETH and it didn't turn out the way it did, you know, I still have like, like an enormous stream of income that, that gives me like a free throw every two weeks. Could you explain well, more? How, how does that work? Hmm? It's an insurance how, product. Or it's like, is, a, it, is it just a, a new like insurance? Okay. It's like so a traditional finance thing is convex, right? Oh, got convex, it. Okay. Convex has, is, is like a protocol, you know, that, that, um, that capitalizes on, on the curve exchange, right? 
And so the mechan the mechanism, you know, is is very uh, flywheel like. But at the end of the day, DAOs pay convex to stabilize their their uh, U.S. dollars, right? And so if you're a DAO and you have like like uh, like a stable coin that you want to launch and you want to stabilize it, you put it on Curve Finance and then you you start bribing like liquidity providers to uh, stabilize that coin. And, and that requires a lot of money. So at the other end, you know, I'm the market maker and I'm also like, like a like a convex stakeholder and I'm able to earn off of that. The catch here is that you must lock in an enormous amount of, of convex tokens into the protocol uh, for four months. So those four months, you know, you cannot make any decisions other than, than earning income off of it. And so that has, has gotten me like, like uh, a lot of benefits, you know, during the downturn. So, you know, the market's up, the market's down, the stable coin is stable and I'm, I'm too busy, like writing checks, you know, to, to uh, bother with, with the market, you know, in that segment. So when, when it was at the top, you know, I, I realized that not everything will go according to plan. So I already, uh, uh, made like, like several, several like, uh, allocations that, that would prevent like complete failure. So that's anti-fragility in, in action right there. What, uh, we actually had this question that I was texted to me by somebody. And since we're on the topic, kind of what percentage of your portfolio is not crypto, you know, right now with, with the stock market being the clown market, <laughs> it actually varies. It varies from, from like, you know, anywhere from, from like 10%, you know, to, to 50%, depending on the time of the day and, and where crypto is. So it's hard to ballpark. So you but, do have, a, do you, do you hold equities and you obviously have real estate? Um, yeah, I, I hold properties, you know, so property is, is also like a hedge to crypto too, but crypto is also a hedge to property too. You know, suppose that your country decided to confiscate your property, then um, you can just go overseas with with whatever you have, you know, in cyberspace. So they're a hedge to each other. Give us uh, on the. I, I want to just ask one last question on the portfolio thing: Is can you tell us about Web two or anything non crypto related <laughs> that excites you? No. Web two is boring and it puts me to sleep. <laughs> like looking at web two, you know, like, like all the infrastructure. So I've, I've actually like, like, you know, touch a little bit of web two on, on some of my uh, crypto ventures. Like, you know, some people were pitching me seed rounds, you know, to, to stuff like, like lending. And the moment they, they pitch me, you know, and, and, and give me like the staff paper to sign, you know, they ask, it asked for passport. I'm out of there. <laughs> You know, it's boring. It puts me to sleep. I hate filling out paperwork, you know, and I'm so used to crypto where, where everything is, is auditable in the blockchain, you know, speaking of audit, if you were to audit, like, like the bank of America, it would, it would require like, like some action from, from even Congress itself, you know, to get the, the ball rolling. But if you were to audit something like MakerDAO, all it takes is to click on the blockchain and, and you can see the, the entirety of, of their reserve. So with this efficiency, uh, obtain, I, I think, you know, uh, going, I, I think that the banking, uh, cannot win, you know, long-term, you know, no matter what regulation they push through. So DeFi is the future.
Well, I would. I actually would like to continue on this part of the conversation because I don't know if you follow the uh, the Cartoon Avatar podcast, but they've had a couple of these back and forth on Web three use cases, and a big mm-hmm. thing that comes out of it is, okay, there's obviously a continuum of how much friction you want in the financial system, right. and if you were to say this DeFi protocols and the stuff you're involved in is zero friction or very little friction versus the banking industry where you have to put your passport and Jack has to spend 10 days just to sign 30 pieces of paper to maybe get a right. mortgage. There's a middle ground, right? It's like friction can yeah. be good for security. Mm-hmm. There are trade-offs. So yes. Agreed. could you talk through those trade-offs though? And it, it doesn't sound like if there are the trade-offs, it's as simple as, oh, DeFi is just going to replace TradFi. Yeah. Okay. So if you know what you're doing like me, you know, and if you're well-versed in, in security, then you can hold your own money and be your own bank, but not everybody can be their own bank. You know, like I wouldn't, uh, tell my aunt, you know, to go and, and be your own bank because, because she clicks on a link and, and she'll get rugged. <laughs> so not everybody is, is cut out to be their own bank in crypto and the infrastructure right now, you know, is not mature enough for, uh, for your everyday person, you know, for your, uh, for your barber to enter crypto, you know, someone has to hold their hands. And so there's, there's some degree of custody involved in, uh, onboarding, like, like the sort of the masses. Yeah. So it's, it's a trade-off, but the benefits in crypto is that you can move money, you know, in, in, in no ways that, that entities can touch, you know? And so there's the, the entities that be are starting to fight back as you can see with like the, the OFAC and, and the whole TC debacle. Yeah. And so could I ask just a follow-up question to that actually, because we, we joke on the podcast that, um, if you've got cold storage, that's already a step above like most, you know, people just buying on Coinbase or something like that. And we joke that, you know, not everyone can, you know, write down the uh, this phrase that you have to memorize or put under a kettlebell like we joke about uh, behind Jack, right. Jack sitting there and hiding it or whatever. So like yeah. for an average person who's interested like we are, most of the people listen to this are interested in this. What's your advice to them for securing like their assets and is like just having right. cold storage enough? But... You know, like what would be kind of the levels to securing yourself? Okay. If you're talking about like, you know, some of my relatives who doesn't know like, like anything about crypto, then I recommend them just like buying from a Coinbase, you know, and and having it on Coinbase where the security is reasonable and they're reputable enough where I can say, you know, if you just leave it there for several years, I doubt anything's going to happen to it. Um, the next level of security, you know, if they want to hold their funds and become their own bank, I'm trying to remember this wallet's name, Argent, right? Argent's wallet is basically a multi-sig, you know, with, with email recovery. So you can't really, um, so I don't remember you having to write down the phrase at all, but it has like certain security layers and, and certain uh, assurances where, where, uh, Argent can't just run off of the fund because it's a multi-sig. So there's a signature from you and a signature from Argent but yeah so you can give other people you can give other people like your spouse or like another device as one of those multi-sig devices or something right yeah 
I mean, the, the next level up, you know, like, like is, is a multi-sig, like a Gnosis fault, but that requires like, you know, some hardware level security where you're able to sign off on, on the hardware device. Yeah. So Coinbase, Argent, uh, multi-sig, you know, other stuff that, that keeps uh, the money from yourself. Yeah. All right, so Tetra, you sent us a DM about uh, financial sovereignty and uh, disintermediation. It's kind of uh, related to the topic we just touched on. I'd love for you to expound on that idea and uh, how you view it uh, with your own personal life and broader crypto economy. Right. So financial sovereignty, you know, deals with the history of nations uh, encroaching on citizens' rights, uh, conflicts, personal conflict, personal safety, warfare. So if you're working, you know, like nine to five and war suddenly breaks out, you know, like just to say like, like the U S clashes with, with China, you know, over Taiwan, then I think, uh, everyone's job security would be in danger. So that that's, that's like the most basic level of it all. The next level up is financial independence where you don't have to work day-to-day -day job. Um, and, and that you're more free to make your, your own decisions, you know, on, on where you want to be. However, the government can seize your property, you know, so you're still at the mercy of somebody. Now, the next level up would require crypto, which is financial sovereignty. So suppose that your own government is threatening you to take away your livelihood. What do you do? Well, you pack it up, you put it into crypto, and then you can walk buck naked across the border <laughs> and still be worth uh, what, what you are, you know, before you walked across. So sell your house pack it up and move. So that's financial sovereignty in a nutshell. So you can just go to New Zealand. You can be like, like, you know, a free floating entity. So your, your fate is not dependent on your government's bad decisions. Yeah. So we're going to see like the, the, a world where people are just going to be naked walking across borders, holding USBs. <laughs> yeah. Holding USBs. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they, they have, uh, you know, like, like, uh, something that that's, that's not, uh, metal in, in, uh, in their orifices. <laughs> but so this is, I mean, this is a very important to you, right? The, uh, the financial sovereignty, it's like a guiding philosophy for you. Yeah. Because like when, when you're like at, at a level, you know, you're constantly being, being handed paperwork on, on, Hey, where did you get this fund from, you know, by your banks? you're getting letters from, from like your, your governance from three letter agencies, you're constantly like being harassed for, for, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, but they're, they're constantly on, on your case about it. And I think what has just started, you know, with, with the banning of OFAC is that the government is, is now viewing any citizen with uh, any sort of affiliation with privacy movements, you know, as suspect then you feel like like totalitarian is, is creeping in and and you know history and and where i comes from constantly reminds me that that you know the government is not your friend at at some level if you're you know kind of just working your nine to five and you have stuff in the bank you know they just hired like like eighty seven thousand irs agent you know to clamp down on on cash businesses the majority of businesses cannot pay their taxes, you know, and remain solvent because the profit margin is uh, there is so thin. So I don't know what's going on right now, but it feels like 
Like usually in, in the history of governments, there comes a time when war and conflict and hardship wipes out all the bureaucratic parasites, you know, that inhabits the uppers of the government. And with, with a longer and expected peacetime, the bureaucrats, the parasites start inhabiting our, our top echelon. And so now we're being subjected to special interests that does not uh, favor the, the freedom of citizens. You know, we've seen it with, with bureaucratic bungling, you know, the expansion of, of like, of like more bureaucrats to enforce laws on, on ordinary citizens who, who didn't do anything wrong. So right now I feel like, like the, the government sees like individual as the enemy. So that, that's, that's where, you know, like, like I need to be proactive about like, like how I deal with it because while I cannot save the world, I'm trying to build like, like a life raft to save my village. Right. Mm. Wait, so uh, I wanted to follow up quickly on this was we actually had this with one of our questions and something else uh, related that you want to talk about. So with that view that you have, how do you come, how do you kind of square that with the fact that you've been a little bit more public uh, over the past call it year? Um, are you concerned about, you know, outing yourself uh, from the pseudonymous account and Basically, yeah. Um, like yeah. you, there's that, there's that tension, right? Is you're yeah, being more yeah, public. Yeah. You're very public, uh, uh, even as a synonymous account. Yeah. Um, so yeah, love you. So, know. yeah. I mean, like, like you know, people with like a hundred times my net worth are public figures. Like, like okay, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot of like crypto entities that that are public. You know, like like who are bigger than me. I don't want to out them or single them out, but but you know who's who. But I, I can tell you like like you know top exchange founders like SBF is is stocks. You know he walks around just fine. But if I were to be docs, all I have to do is just hire a security team. You know it's it's a trade off in privacy and and it's irreversible. So I prefer just to be anonymous. So yeah, and I'm just trying to help other people. So I'm I'm not doing anything bad. So I don't really have anything to hide if I'm outed. But if I'm outed, you know I'll just heighten up my security, hire a security team, and um, just move to a gated compound. Yeah. So that's not get, really a problem. Yeah, some bodyguards. I mean, like, yeah, hire bodyguards. Um, but you know, I, I think back in 2018, I just like retired, you know, and, and just traveled the world, you know, and, and, uh, and just not be on, on public Twitter until I saw like, 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 uh, people moving from Reddit to Twitter, you know, and I saw the, this, this, uh, this sort of uh, very mediocre guy, you know, spreading out like, like misinformation. And his name was, was Anthony Pompliano. You know, this guy was a bullshitter. This guy's a bullshitter. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he doesn't understand cryptography from like from like a uh, from an atomic level. So he's just like this clown, this this influencer. And I saw his past, you know, and and so I have got to participate, you know, and and uh, I won't let the space go unchallenged. Now, eventually, I I became like a Twitter influencer myself, you know, anonymously, um, and then protocol started asking about me because I, in addition to like, you know, outing like, like bullshitter, I publish my, my research on, on Uniswap, you know, as a market maker, this and that, like, like, like I'm, I'm a proponent of open source and, and, and freedom of information. So I, I do a lot of research. So I post that on. And so founders, you know, from, from various protocols starts asking me like, like, Hey, you know, can you help me with this? So I said, yeah, 
you know, and so the process started snowballing. <clears throat> then, um, then I started getting connected. And so here I am just, uh, kind of helping everyone out. Full disclosure, we know Pump, uh, yeah. some of us know us better than others, uh, but it, that that was like kind of the catalyzing. You wanted to yeah. get more involved in the intellect, like you saw what was happening on Twitter. There's a lot of intellectual competition yeah. going on. And you're the like, thing with Pump is that, you know, seeing, hearing him talk, you know, and this is me as an OG, you know, knowing like, like the Bitcoin mining process and the security down to the hash level, down to SHA-256, which I understand the process. It's kind of like watching, a, what would you call it? Like a graduate student watching a third grader, you know, present on calculus. Let's just put it that way. We know you're bullshitting. Stop it. Yeah, that's, that's all I got to say to Pump. And we're going to need to get Pump on for a rebuttal to you after you rebutted uh, Sailor. So. <laughs> look, 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 I have understanding and I have the entire DeFi market at my control. Pump runs like like a Bitcoin pizza shop, you know. No <laughs> idea how Christ. he succeeded, but anyways, Jesus he's Christ. not from the same breed as I am. You know, <laughs> does it make sense to debate with with like a rabbit zoo animal? You know, it, it would be a, a waste of my time. But Damn, if, son! If you ever find the shots fired on any <laughs> level ground, I I'd be glad you know to to talk with him. Whatever. I don't think there's anything to talk about. <laughs> I will say, and this is not just because I know Pump a little bit as well. I will say, I think he's, uh, without going into details of his position of Bitcoin, because I don't know enough about it, but he does come across as very pro Bitcoin nowadays. I do think for an average person who doesn't know anything about crypto, I think he does a decent job of explaining like the high level stuff. Yeah. But again, you're entitled to your opinion. I completely yeah. appreciate that. Okay. okay. But, you know, just not to be too controversial and, and just to kind of uh, be more realistic about things. You know, I came on here because the pomp, like he's constantly spreading FUD about Ethereum, this and that. But, you know, he, he might do a good job of ex explaining to like your everyman about like, like Bitcoin and stuff. But at my level, it's like, dude, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. Just, just stop. If you don't know anything, just say you don't know. You know, just like me. If I don't know anything about TradFi, I'm not gonna say anything. You know, I don't even know about equity. Like, like I don't know about equity. You know, just say you don't know instead of talking about things that that you have no skin in the game in. You know, as simple as that. That's Fair the enough. difference between like like someone like me and a bullshitter. That's that's why protocols hired me on board, right? I'm very honest about what I I know and and I don't know. And I don't know a lot of things, you know, I'm no slouch, but having been in the space as long as I have, it can be a humbling experience at time talking to people 10 times like smarter than me. Yeah, completely. I, I did have one follow-up question. Uh, Jack, I saw you unmute. You, did you want to ask that? Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask for uh, your long-term hypothesis on Bitcoin, whether or not you still own any. Yes. You know, I think Bitcoin is going to survive, but not in the form that, that it is right now. It will be forced to evolve. Once the security budget becomes like, like a real concern, you know, once reorg starts happening like like two or three blocks here, 10 blocks there, then the I'm sorry, Bitcoin sorry to interrupt. On what time frame is that, you think, the those things coming up? Uh yeah, probably like a decade from now. You know, they, they still get a security budget, you know, and, and several like like halvenings left to go. Got it. You know, like, like I even proposed like one solution to, to the Bitcoin halvening 
security budget is to have like like a two coin system where they can have like like some kind of inflation you know with with like the extra coin where bitcoin's uh 21 million sacred limit you know is respected but it's still printing out like like uh, like a secondary coin that that does like some function so it's just like fee rebate you know or or uh redemption for for a certain amount of bitcoins but whatever it is you know they they will be forced to evolve i i think bitcoin will evolve it's just like when it's is forced when when it's under duress and right now bitcoin is very high the miners are being paid enough no, so it'll be there, but it won't exist as as the way that it is right now. Right. Wait, so are you holding? Do you hold any anymore? I hold Ethereum because I I am betting that Ethereum will be the market dominant over Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin will still exist. It, it might exist as a collectible, as an NFT, but I will hold Bitcoin. You know, uh, after one Ethereum, it's equal to one Bitcoin. You know. Kind of like how Octavian captured Cleopatra as the victory trophy. You're going, oh. you're going, uh, you're bringing in some history, man. That's, uh, history yeah. professor fans loving man this loves one. That, loves that Wait, stuff. Jack, uh, so you mentioned NFTs and Jack uh, has a number of questions on that front. So I, I'd love uh, for Jack to jump right in there. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I don't actually have any like highly specific questions. I'd love to hear you like, uh, hypothesize on NFTs in general. And I remember earlier in the yes. conversation, you mentioned this is like a, at the moment, this is, I mean, it is a status driven thing to some degree. Mm -hmm. So I think it doesn't share all of the, um, all of the like mechanical aspects with DeFi, but I would just love to hear your perspective on oh. how you think about them. Well, that's the perfect timing because like, I'm actually working with a protocol in turning NFT into DeFi. And, and there's like a lot of uh, different ways that you can do it. So for the audience, NFTs, the analogy here is that Bob Ross, you know, has a bunch of paintings, right? And he puts a signature on one of the paintings. So how much is that signed painting worth versus say like a Costco print? You know, so that's the gist of the NFT. The NFT is like an undisputable signature from the artists themselves. And so how much is that original go for, you know, that, that signed original go for. So now that it's digitized, you know, all artists are able to monetize uh, off of their, their artwork in, in ways that, that are not scalable before. Right. So let's just say like, I wanted to, put that NFT painting, that, that Bob Ross painting up for collateral, you know, like if I go to like JP Morgan or Chase, they'll, they'll be like, sir, sure. this is a bank. <laughs> We're not going to accept it. Right. However, with JPEG, the platform, we will. So that's what we're working on. And it's, it's working right now. It's, it's live in prod. So let's just say that you have a punk, profile picture and you want to you know farm money off of it so how do you do it you know let's just say a punk is like worth 100 ETH. so you deposit it on a jpeg platform and then you can borrow 40 ETH worth of, of uh, us dollars off of it right and then you can go into one of jpeg's farms and then you know it yields about 15 to 16 percent currently uh, on the U S dollars. Right. So 
uh, with traditional banking, you know, I think your savings account can, can yield like half a percent, you know? So in a world of like negative interest rates and very low yields, you know, in DeFi, we have these opportunities trustlessly on chain that can yield you like, like 10 plus percent that beats inflation. So these are very real opportunities on the JPEG platform. And, you know, I'm, I'm working and advising with them to, to kind of uh, bring it up to mainstream speed and not very much people know about it, but it's very solid at the core. It's one of the few protocols where we do not need to, to, to spend treasury budget, you know, to keep it afloat because it's fully solvent. So the trick to doing that is that we keep our operation very small and scalable. The, the mistake that I see a lot of DeFi protocols makes is that they expand too fast, you know, and they have like, like people, developers to pay, you know, and marketing budget. So they, they kind of uh, bleed their treasury into oblivion. So they're unable to expand, but we start slow and we're small in, in, in a way that we can control. And then we expand slowly. So it's, it's a slow and methodical role, you know, of JPEG. So we have like additional features of JPEG that, that we're launching out such as the ability to increase your, uh, your loan limit by locking in, you know, these JPEG tokens that, that you're able to increase your limit from like 100 uh, Ether limit to 300 Ether, you know, by locking in like, like about 10% of that as, as JPEG collateral. Now the, the tokenomics is, is just amazing. And, and I'm happy to be a part of, you know, the, the design. So is your, is your interest in NFTs, uh, more on this kind of figuring out ways to collateralize them and do lending, or do you have any uh, interest in NFTs, like the way yeah. that the mainstream media knows it? Yeah, I mean, like I'm also like like a collector too. Like there are some NFTs that they're one on one, you know, and and some arts collection that that I uh, just hold, you know. So there's 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 like certain collections that I also speculate on as well, such as like my ladies. You know, like it's, it's this, I, I don't know, like, like I found it to be stupid at first, you know, but it was pretty cool. That, that's one of the collections that I speculate on, you know, because I think the price will go up just because like, it's, it's so like the community is, is pretty resilient, you know, like, like it's, it's, uh, it's collection where, where not everyone is, is like super rich, you know, it's, it's not like, like a punk profile or, or a base C profile. So yeah, you know, at first I, I thought the community was pretty stupid, but you know, it kind of grew on me. So I, I kind of joined it. Yeah. So what is your broader NFT thesis? Cause you kind of touched on some of it. You like the community, uh, the kind of the OGness of some projects. How would you look at, let's say there's a hundred thousand projects that get launched in following decades. Yeah. How many are NFTs, going to zero? And then which NFTs ones are, are a way, you know, for the artists to monetize on, on their works. Um, in, traditional art, you know, you cannot fetch the, the high premiums that you do in NFTs because like, like proving the, the authenticity of the art is very hard, but on here it's, it's almost instant. And NFTs also is crypto's way of capturing the attention economy, you know, and that's, that's a very high premium that, that we can fetch. You know, if you want an NFT of, of a celebrity, you know, and the celebrity signs it, then that's one way of, of monetizing it without having to go to web two and, and have like, you know, the middleman take the cut. So it's, it's an amazing space, you know, that that's, that's a lot of uncharted territory. So right now I I'm just 
exploring how to sell the shovels, you know, to this gold rush. And so JPEG, the platform, were able to kind of uh, monetize the NFTs, you know, and, and sort of uh, have the platform earn some interest and, and kind of uh, help the users earn interest on it too. Yeah. And so right. you're asking, like, like, when it comes to farming, you're probably asking where do yields come from? So the yield always comes from speculation and leverage. Yeah. At the bottom of it all, like, like in every single market, yields comes from leverage and speculations. So in essence, like, like in DeFi, you know, it's, it's more honest because there's less middlemen, there's less structure than say, you know, your CD account at a bank. But if you look at what, what the bank is doing with your money, when you deposit it, you know, it's so just like investing into this and in that portfolio and, and investing in properties, you know, and, and loaning it out to, to other commercial enterprises, then it's, it's essentially the same thing what, what DeFi is doing. Right. So all yields come from leverage. DeFi is basically a casino. It's a casino that pays out a bonus token. What can you do with that bonus token? You can vote on the policies of the casino. And in some other cases, you can earn yields off of the other players by staking that token. You know, so that, that's the basic structure of DeFi. It's the casino that pays out a bonus token. That bonus token can be used to earn and, and, and play the house. So the, the framing you had of uh, DeFi is a casino where you can participate. I mean, is mm -hmm. that, in your view, something that is a, so you could build sustainably over the long term? You, you see what I'm saying? It's like, if that's the framing of it, how are you going to convince 99% of the world that, uh, or TradFi, uh, people like myself, which aren't super yeah. into, if that's the framing, that doesn't seem like sure. future finance, right? Um, it is the future of finance. If you look at a country like China, they are insatiable gamblers. You know, if you look at countries like in Vietnam, like, like, uh, Vietnam has, has like extremely like, like gambler mentality. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you know why? Because like everyone is so freaking poor that they just want to get ahead and, and get ahead quickly, you know? So <laughs> like, uh, there's, there's uh, no shortage of gambler. It's just that DeFi is worldwide. So it makes it into a very scalable operation. You know, now when we're talking about TradFi, it's also a casino as well. It's abstracted yes. away by, by middlemen in business suits, but ultimately every financial decision in, in TradFi takes on some kind of risk, you know, that, that is kind of abstracted away, but at the very tail end, it explodes kind of like the Lehman brothers. So DeFi and TradFi and, and any form of, of like uh, speculation is a casino. It's just like some are, are bare bones honest than others. How, how do you see, because uh, obviously with TradFi, the big, uh, the hand wavy thing they'll do is like, hey, we're, we're moving money, capital allocators to productive assets, right? Yeah. It's like, that's the whole, to your point, a lot of it is just bullshit. And we've, we've gone through enough cycles where we've seen right. the hand-waving of going to productive assets not being necessarily true. In DeFi, do you see a similar thing though, where it's like, okay, these are actually helping provide liquidity, moving money to the right places to create ultimately productive assets? Um, in DeFi, you know, like it comes down to the individual's decision-making currently if it falls onto the hands of others to make the decision for you, kind of like a hedge fund, then, then essentially it's, it's just TradFi again. Um, that said, you know, like, like in DeFi, you can audit in real time where your money is going. You know, 
if, if it stays on chain, of course, like if someone withdraws it to a bank, then you can, cannot see where it's going. Um, yeah, I think for, for DeFi, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I forgot what, what the question was. No, here, let, 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 uh, I think a good way to frame it was, if we want to talk about the hand waving that TradFi does, but it also does accomplish it, right? It allocates mm -hmm. assets to the right places and does lead to productive assets. What is the equivalent of that for DeFi? Let's call it 30 to 40 years from now, DeFi's eaten the entire economy. How is that working to create productive assets? Because ultimately that's what you want a financial system to do, right? You want it to allocate money efficiently and mm -hmm. lead to you know better things for society. So right. what, what's that look like for DeFi? Okay. So you're talking about like, like sort of, uh, trust, you know, in, in TradFi and, and, uh, how that equates to in DeFi? No. Well, so let's take uh, mortgage backed securities as a, the simplest example. So before we blew up 2008, 2009, what mortgage backed securities did though, was it lowered the cost of capital for homeowners around the world, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of risk was inherently baked into that, but you can make the argument and people did for decades. It was a great financial uh, innovation uh, to spread risk like that. And it led to the real world effect of more home ownership, right? So mm -hmm. DeFi removes a lot of friction, uh, is able to uh, uh, you know settle instantly, and uh, and things that you mentioned where basically a lot of trust is taken out. It's all in the code. So what is ultimately that benefit going to be for society? If you take out a, a, a very tangible example, thirty years right. from now, DeFi has taken over the entire economy. How does that look? Okay, so in TradFi, I believe that. 10% of the country's GDP in the U S is being used to uphold like, like commercial banking for, and, and, you know, to, uh, to siphon it away for, for middlemen, you know, like both, uh, JP Morgan and so on, you know, with DeFi, it's more peer to peer and in its current form, it attracted away like a lot of that middleman, uh, profit, you know? So if you're a business and you're operating on like 5% margin, and you don't have to deal with the bank, you know, that's an additional 10%. So that kind of triples right. the, the, the profit margin for, for businesses. So working with that, you know, we confer like possibly billions, if not trillion dollars of efficiency to the economy and, and we can grow it, you know, so e-commerce grows. And that's what happened with the internet, you know, before the internet, the distribution system was, was very local, but now, you know, if you're a business owner, let's just say like, like you go on Etsy, and you create like, like something like pottery and, and everybody likes it, then, then you'll get like thousands of demands, you know, and, and your profit and your income stream would, would be nearly infinite, you know? So we're making it so that, so that, you know, what's it? Finance is, is more scalable for your every man. You know, there's a lot of businesses that, that wouldn't uh, otherwise exist, you know, if, if uh, the internet wasn't around. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you make a very good point there. It's like, you know, you got a little, I go to a lot of these mom and pop restaurants, they won't take credit cards, right? Because they can't eat that 2% fee. Yeah, exactly. So I think the D, yeah, no, that's a that's a great example. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, I guess the question then becomes, uh, we talked about it earlier, is the continuum, right? It's like, how much friction do you actually need? Because there are still protections, right? I mean, these middlemen take a lot. Yeah way too big of a margin, but there's still services yeah. provided and uh, uh, security provided 
uh, I guess there's what I'm saying is that between zero percent uh, take, which you alluded to, versus the ten percent take. Well, you mm-hmm. called it the ten percent. There's somewhere where I think it might not yeah, be yeah. zero, but there it's. You know what I mean? There's 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 a margin. Yeah. Because if you hold like like your uh, business proceeds in in your wallet, you know there's a chance like it might get hacked if you don't know what you're doing. Especially if if you're just like running a restaurant and and so the restaurant owner you know has no idea about like like crypto or what goes on behind it. So I think there there are like some commerce platform like like I believe it is like commerce uh, Coinbase uh, on Coinbase where it takes like a smaller cut you know than say credit card for them to transact in crypto and in Coinbase automatically trades it out, you know, or, or BitPay. I don't know the state of like those two because I haven't used it as, as like a business owner before, but it does exist. Yeah. So somewhere along the, the, the spectrum of, of like, you know, be your own bank and hold your hardware wallet versus like total custodio where you're, you're doing like credit card transaction that siphons away like 3% every swipe. Um, there, there is that, that area that exists too. It's very niche and, and not a lot of people know about it, but those who use it, you know, are, are able to capitalize on, on the margin of profit. Can, can I just add a, a quick follow-up to what both of you were just talking about? Um, to call back one of the things you were talking about, you kind of said everything is a casino and we kind of like joke about this as well on the pod. Yeah. And I'm 100% on your side of, you know, the current financial system definitely has a huge element of it being a casino. Right. The one part I would say, and maybe you were just saying it as an extreme example or like a summary. I will say, to be fair, obviously, like houses have utility, right? Like people are living in houses, uh, businesses create products and they sell them. And that's where valuations come from companies and stocks. That's the kind of base layer where there's real utility. And then, of course, maybe 90% of it is the casino, like the, you know, all the financialization of it on top. But that that was kind of when you said that, I kind of had that flagged in my head as to say, like, to be fair, I think there is, you know, there's real things being created in the world, obviously. And that is what that whole system has been yes. based upon. And I would say, like you just described there, there are use cases in crypto that we're all excited about where real utility uh, and efficiencies will be created. Um, yeah. But at the same time, of course, like, the reason I bought an NFT was because I thought it would be worth more in a year or <laughs> 30 days. And that's why yeah. I bought it. And that was probably why a lot or of people bought them. Or 12 hours later. Or 12 <laughs> hours later. So yeah. that was the only thing. And and kind of related to that point, um, I had a question for you around, you know, you see so many of these projects, you're investing in them, you're putting skin in the game. What Are, are there some examples of ones you've changed your mind on over time or you got really wrong? Because of course, you know, everyone yes. makes mistakes when they're making investing like this. But in the time that we've had this kind of euph- euphoric moment of the last year, um, you know, like Olympus DAO came out. I know a lot of people in in a, in the Ethereum world were, were kind of speculating on that, including right. myself, right? Like I was messing around with it as mm-hmm. well and a bunch of these DeFi places. So I'm curious, like, what are some of those projects that you now look back and say, oh, I was wrong about that or I've changed my mind about it? Okay. So in 2016, when Ethereum suffered the Dow hack, you know, we were looking at other competing, like, like up and coming L1s. Uh, and this very promising uh, blockchain came up. It, it was called Scenario, right? I mean, we, we looked at the founder and, and the CTO and, and they had fantastic resume, you know, and they promised like infinite blockchain blockchain scaling 
um, uh, sort of recursive uh, rollups and so on. Right. The, the CTO was, was like this, this, uh, this genius from Microsoft and the CTO was, was just like, you know, this, this PhD from, from like Israel. Um, what ultimately happened is, is that they didn't deliver on the promise and, and uh, the CTO and the CEO had a fight and, and that was that, and the project just went kaput. So, um, that, that was like the, the first, uh, project that I was wrong about, it had, it wrote checks that could not be cashed, you know, kind of bet on them because of their background, right? Like, uh, you, yeah. you, you fell for the, Hey, Stanford. Uh, well, I said, you said Microsoft, yeah. the forms you, I mean, pretty, pretty yeah. accomplished, but, uh, I mean, like, like I learned that in 2016, some people had to learn it all the way in 2021 or even this year. Um, the next project was Funfair. It was a casino, uh, token. And I think they, I had this back in the day. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it was a 2017 project. You know, I participated in, in the crowd sale. So it had a lot of great things going for it. You know, it, it was the first uh, proposed, one, one of the first proposed uh, implementation of a state channel, you know, in, in blockchain uh, gambling. So instead of having like, like 50 different transactions, you know, on a blockchain, which can get really expensive really quick, um, you do like, like this sort of, uh, commit and reveal thing where, where you create a bunch of hash ladder that, that outputs like, like these random numbers that you can reliably use to, to sort of roll your dice. Um, and then they, they had like, like triple a level of polish, you know, like, like the, uh, CEO, the founder, uh, I, I forgot what's his name, but he, he was a legend. He, he created like, like the, the star Fox game um oh that game's tight <laughs> yeah yeah he he was the the one who programmed like the the i i think the sfx chip in in the super nintendo you know i looked at the history and i looked at the the preview products and it was like triple a polish um that that was a failed venture ultimately because one you know they they had to kind of do the sort of gymnastic you know around regulation and secondly they their token you know use as as like uh casino chips created this friction where not, where not everyone who, who owns the token, you know, could play on there. So you had to buy those casino chips and ultimately it, it turned out to be a flop due to regulatory uh, sort of dodging. And then uh, the chips created onboarding friction. And so, so I'll just say from the two examples, you said the ones that failed is like, you kind of bet on somebody with a background a technical background but it just had mm -hmm. nothing to do with crypto right it's like oh yeah. this guy has an interesting resume in in this field admittedly impressive but uh, like you said the the regulatory hurdles and crypto is just a totally different beast i mean would that be the takeaway here yeah i mean they, they were lessons learned in in what worked in crypto and what did not work in crypto you know so um yeah i mean what worked in crypto is is like cash flow and uh use cases where where it's it's pretty close to speculation so like uniswap you know was was a perfect product market fit in that it's it's able to conduct uh financial efficiency and allow markets where markets does not exist before like lending platforms like ave was able to allow people to monetize and and collateralize stuff that that couldn't be collateralized before 
And are there any other layer ones that you look at? I know you've talked about Solana already, and I've heard you talk about Cosmos in the, in an, on another podcast. Like obviously, mm-hmm. we've talked Bitcoin, Ethereum today, but any any others that you look at and say maybe, just maybe, in the future, they they could have a real use case um, that there, that there Ethereum is, no is not going to serve. There is no third best. There is no third <laughs> best. Yeah. So you know, Bitcoin will be Bitcoin. You know. And I'm betting on Ethereum will be the dominance, but if Bitcoin evolves, then it's uh, there's still some fight left into it, I believe. Um, but as far as like the other L1s go, it's they all like trade off like their their decentralization for some sort of scaling, you know, along the spectrum. Like like say Avalanche, for example, features like the C chain, but they're just basically using one unit, you know, of of blockchain security or a validator to kind of issue out the security for, for like, you know, three different chains, but they haven't solved for like the state blow, you know, that comes with the three chains. So the node operator still has to hold like the data for the three chains. And if the, the chains grow big enough, it would just crash. So the C chain is, is not like, like revolutionary in any ways or form rollups, you know, are, are better because like data is compressed. And, and so we're able to kind of scale the blockchain, you know, like, like computational output um, is, is one thing like, like bandwidth and storage is another, right? So I looked at the, the trilemma and, and it seems like, like the other blockchains have not made any breakthrough. I mean, like Cosmo is, is very interesting, but Ethereum 2.0, you know, with the network effect is, is starting to converge onto like the, the Cosmo architecture where, where you can make trade-offs in, in terms of, uh, your your network security, you know, and whether you want like 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 uh, L ones or L twos or or side chains, so it's it's all converging and and you know Ethereum has has like five different ways of of scaling and it's being worked on in, in parallel. You know, I'm not an expert on that, but from a higher level perspective, uh, I just need to know like 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 it's evolving and do, do the competing L ones you know provide any proposition that that can overtake the network. And so to answer that, if you were to say fork Windows, you know, or iOS, you know, into a new operating system, like how big of, of a revolutionary feature do you need, you know, in order to overtake that market or, or be on parity or become a real competitor? And you, ha- you have to be like, like, you know, 10x the innovation or confer like, like additional efficiency that couldn't be thought of before. And so it's a very hard business, you know, like, like if you go onto the next L1 and it confers like 10% efficiency, but none of the network effects, then it's, it's not a very good bet. Right. So um, in, in that sense, you know, like, like the rest of the L1s are kind of, uh, I, I don't see any revolution. Also, Aptos and Sui are going to fail. Which one? Sorry, I just missed. Aptos and Sui is going to fail. Okay. I looked at their spec and their, their hot steaming pile of bullshit. Like, <laughs> just like you know, hey, you know, like meta developers, web 2.0 developers, you know. And, and so I looked at their spec and it's, it's all like centralized and they have no idea what you're doing when it comes to blockchain engineering. They're going to fail because like, like all the other stuff that, that they're proposing, you know, has been tried and, and true in, in blockchain. So they're just moving the sliding scale along like the centralization spectrum. No fun to be had at all. Zero. Zero. No right. fun. No fun except if you're just VC dumping on top of retail. No, oh, they're not having fun. Well, but I was going to... Go, go ahead. On, go on, you know, like, like, like looking at the Apple and, and Sue, like, like, like VC cap, you know, 
it's it's a giant VC gangbang circle jerk. There's no fun to be had for for any you know retail at all. Uh, I'm not. Uh, there's someone no clip best. that, please. Yeah, that someone clip that one <laughs> and add a well, like, explicit warning. Wait, uh, that was going to be my my question about like the inevitability of a feature versus the network effect of like big players and characters. And it's like you kind of started to answer that where some of these moves seem like short-lived hype machine, you know, the right mm -hmm. VC mm -hmm. rights to check and all this capital just flows in after it. I'd just love to hear you talk about like the difference there. It sounds like just, uh, you know, coming up with a 10 X innovation gets you the network effect, but I would love to hear you talk about that more. Yeah. As in like, you know, if, if you're a competitor and there's an incumbent, uh, one needs to be like, like, you know, twice as good at least in order to get like any traction in the market. If not, then the competitor, you know, might be able to respond. Like if you're improving Ethereum with a fork, like by 25% efficiency, say, then someone else can just, uh, in, in the Ethereum incumbency can just, you know, add features that, that will confer additional efficiency there. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, I think that and um, like the effect of, you know, a person or entity backing something, if it isn't that much better, because we see so much speculation in the space, you almost get this yeah. illusion that something's going to succeed and then it yeah. fails. Yeah, I mean, like like the blockchain trilemma has been like like in in prod in the wild extensively, and we have all of these like like chains, you know, like like from Ripple to all the way to decentralized stuff like Ethereum and Bitcoin to to show like like where the market fit is, you know. And if you look at the the TVL of like the various L ones, you would see like like okay, you know, like Bitcoin, Ethereum. Actually, Ethereum is on top if you include like all the stable coins. So you have Ethereum on top, you have Bitcoin is next. And then number three is Binance, you know, which is proven to be like, like completely centralized because like all 21 nodes is run by Binance. And then next, you know, you have Solana, which which has like the, the big TVL and, and you have like some other stuff like Avalanche. So my point is that the market is telling us that they prefer complete decentralization or number three, Binance, which is like like uh, an SQL database, and they're not going to even like try to fake it, you know. But in between, you know, you have like like stuff that uh, if if you were like worth a lot, you know, would you put your money on that chain, or would you just like pay the extra fee, you know? And it doesn't matter if you're paying like fifty dollars a transaction for like for like a $200 transaction, then that that's, that's a ripoff. But if you're paying like $50, you know, for a $1 million transaction, right. then you don't really don't care. You want maximum decentralization. So that's where the liquidity in Ethereum comes in. Now, why not Bitcoin? You ask because Bitcoin doesn't have smart contracts, you know, so you can hold that Bitcoin, but, but you can't build financial infrastructure on top of it, you know, without like, like trading off stuff. So the stuff that they're, they're building for Bitcoin smart contract, it's all trusted federated, you know, servers like, like RSK. So don't believe the hype. Yeah. It's well, not, well, it's not like having like the RSK, uh, security, the smart contract, you know, the quasi smart contract platform at Bitcoin RSK it's, it's, uh, it's not subsidized by, by the Bitcoin uh, network at all. So therefore it's a side chain. So that's a definition. Trung, you had a question earlier as well. I think you're going to ask something. Yeah, it's kind of related, but 
uh, to something Tetra just talked about before Jack's question. I was curious to know uh, what you think the second and third order effects are uh, following the merge, uh, because obviously moving to proof of stake, right. way more efficient. Okay, what does that actually enable uh, 10, 15 years down the road? Okay, so the technical to the merge is that now the block times, you know, is, is not like following a Poisson distribution, like in mining where it's random, like, okay, you know, you might get a block in one second, you might get a block in a minute. Now it's a constant heartbeat of 12 seconds. So you can build financial products that can rely on, on, you know, the constant settling of, of that 12 seconds. So your, your layer two would become more dependable. Um, yeah, I haven't thought about the implications, but that's what it is. And so the other one is that, the uh, the economic you know assurances of Ethereum is becoming further ossified. You know now you have a a tokenomic or sorry a inflation schedule and policy that you can depend on. So it's frozen in time, so it becomes more similar to a store of value like Bitcoin. And so with the merge narrative, you know, in play, then, then the narrative of store of value becomes even stronger. And, and so it's encroaching even more on Bitcoin territory because right now Ethereum as a smart contract platform is a superset of Bitcoin. You can use ETH the same thing, the, the same way that you can use Bitcoin as a store of value. And so with, with deflationary tokenomics, you know, now you have like, like, like this, this thing that's being used by everybody, you know, and, and so the use case holds up its, its value, just like how Bitcoin was able to find its use case through the dark debt market at first, you know, just to hold value. So with that superset and the network effect, I can only see like, like one, one ending to this and that Ethereum will become the dominant uh, store of value. So uh, those are the implications of the merge. So how I see it playing out, the merge at first, you know, it's it's not going to like spike prices. There, there's going to be like like a buy the a news and and uh, sorry, uh, buy the rumor and sell the news event. And then before the merge, there's ten million dollars of sell pressure, you know, from from new Ethereum being minted. You know, after the merge, there's going to be negative two million dollars of selling pressure. And why is that? Because like the issuance drops, but the burn rate is still the same. So with further usage and demand over time, as more smart contract is deployed, that burn rate will become more significant. So with that negative issuance, Ethereum is getting more rare. It's getting more usage. And so what does that do? Numbers go up. It won't be obvious because if we've seen it, if we use like like the Bitcoin halvings as an example, you know, in 2012, in 2016, and 2020, the market doesn't realize the supply shock right away. You know, it's it's going to be like a slow seep. So uh, that that's what I expect to happen with Ethereum, but even in a more drastic way because it's, it's equivalent to three halvings, and and now supply is going negative. So Tetra, could you just clarify, because I, I heard you say this, but you said the buy the, buy the rumor, sell the news um, a little bit earlier. Were you saying that mm -hmm. in reference to the merge specifically? Like you think mm -hmm. that might happen in September or whenever it happens? Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, you got a lot of like market makers and, and uh, degen traders like leveraging up right now. And so they're looking for a quick like, you know, 25% to 50% gains and then just, just leave because they don't freaking care about the 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 fundamentals, right? So it's going to be saying a those people news. would sell when it happens sort of thing. Yeah. Or maybe the week before, you know, front run. So that, that's up to the market. 
like when it comes to like market pricing and crypto in general, um, short terms, it's always market manipulation and, and just like speculation and overreaction, you know, on the way down. So speculation on the way up overreaction on the way down, but long-term it becomes a market discovery voting machine. So, um, it's a weighing machine. So short-term market manipulation, long-term weighing machine. That's some Warren Buffett right there, man. Or, or was that a, or was that Munger or was that a Benjamin Graham? One of those, uh, you, you mentioned that you, you, you're a Buffett guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like all it is, is just uh, research buy and hold. You know, for me, like, like that can be a time span of years. Like I've, you know, like, like for my seed investment, like I, I usually don't sell my seed investments. No. It's because like, like I, I don't know, like, like past a certain point, you know? So the reason why like, like seed investors or sorry, project founders look for me is because I, I don't like sell their stuff, you know, like, like I'm not three AC where, where I can be caught, like, like dumping in the open on, on top of retail because like my overhead is, is basically one person, you know, and I don't have any bottom lines or, or any uh, quarterly reports to, to report to. Yeah. And so I just recently burnt like, like, you know, 2% of like the token supply in, in Dopex. So, uh, they can see it on chain and, and, you know, I told them that I was going to do it, you know, and it would have been like life-changing money for most, but for me, it's just like, it's like a move on a chessboard. That's it. So you like Buffett other than the fact that he hates crypto. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean like Buffett is, is a great investor, you know, like, like, like there's a lot of really smart people, but they, they become absolutely brain dead when they hit crypto, because it, it's, it's not, it's, it's not the same thing that, that, you know, they, that made them rich and, and it has like different underlying principle and, and different trust assumptions, you know, in crypto, the, the trust assumption is, is not an, an entity, but the trust assumption is in a smart contract. So you're delegating the, the trust that, that, you know, someone is not going to rug you to the, the developers, right? Because there, there's, there's still a layer of trust assumption. It's, it's just structured differently. So think about this. In finance, you're trusting like entities and individuals not to rug you. But in crypto, you're trusting the smart contract to execute what, what it said it does, you know? And most of us, even those, those of us who can read code, you know, cannot read every single line. And, and even if we read every single line, you know, there's, there's some fine print or buggy stuff that, that you know, completely makes the smart contract uh, rugged. So you're trusting a set of eyes of, of both the skills of the developers and, and a set of like watchful eyes, you know, to, to watch any uh, discrepancy in the smart contract. So that trust structure, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's there, but it's just structured differently. I mean, to, to be fair to Buffett, he is 91 years old. I mean, he's, he's like, you know what? Uh, I'm pretty good. I think, uh, I think we had a good run. Uh, don't need to get into this new thing. Uh, do, yeah. you guys have any, do you guys have any more questions on that? Uh, I think uh, we should hit some of these like, uh, yeah, we got uh, some, uh, user questions. We got some Twitter questions. So the last question I had, because it's kind of partly in the Twitter questions too, but just thinking like very, very long term, because I know you like to buy and hold long, long term, as you said. Let's say that time horizon is 10 years from now what are the projects that are around today apart from just ethereum obviously ethereum itself that you're most kind of bullish on actually lasting lasting the you know five ten year mark if 
I, hmm, that's a hard one because like, or maybe there's a front time frame that yeah, you prefer to answer that the, with. The project should have like, because when when I think about this, I, I also think about this a lot too, and it's a very hard thing to answer directly because it's dependent on whether the founder is there or not, and and who comes after the founders. You know, like let's just say like like ten years from now, the founders walk off of like JPEG the platform. You know, is it able to sustain itself through a DAO or or multitude of custodian? You know, who's able to manage the treasury uh, in an effective way? So you know, the protocol runs. But it also needs like updating and maintaining too. You know, like who's who's on board to decide like like the next set of collections of of JPEG, of of NFTs. You know, to onboard the platforms like like okay, we have punks, we have base C, we have like some other collections. So it's it's run like a tradition a traditional company, except like like you know it's uh, the liability is is not to the individual but as, as to the group and it can be anonymous. Um, I digress. So five to 10 years from now, if I were to put my money into a portfolio five years from now, I would probably just, just put my money into like, like a autonomous pool um, that kind of earn fees on, on, on the uh, transactions, you know, and there's only three assets. If you were to put into a portfolio and walk away for 10 years, you know, and, and so expect it to be there. It's uh, one is Ethereum, of course. And two, uh, LUSD um, and three Rye, you know. So LUSD is like a stablecoin with with like the least trust assumptions of, of all the stablecoins. Um, Rye is is basically a floating stable that that's kind of uh, pegged to itself. It's the the mechanism. You know, I'm not an expert on explaining it. I'm not extremely clear on it. But there's almost no trust assumption because it's the the pricing is based on redemption or or minting. Yeah. So those are the three, like, like, do not like mess with my money, uh, uh, assets, you know, that I would put into a 10 year portfolio without having to worry about how the company is doing or if the founder is unable to continue or not. So two of those are stable coins though, right? Yeah. One, one is LUSD is pegged to the U S dollar. The other is just like a floating stable based on, uh, redemption and, and minting. And it's, cool. it's a, a collateralized off of Ethereum. So it's, it's kind of a derivative of Ethereum. You know, if you can't stomach the volatility, then you can go with, with like a somewhat quasi-stable. Yeah. Nice. Great. Yeah, well, we've got some questions from Twitter. Unless, Trung or Jack, do you have any other questions before we get the audience questions in? Give us the day-to-day. What is the, what's the Tetra node day look like? Yeah, so, you know, anything that, that you know, Encroaches on on like uh, anything that else my personal info, you know, when talk about it. But I'm totally comfortable with, with any questions about like my day to day. So, uh, sorry, I'm a full time parent to a toddler and a one year old. You know, when you have like like two kids with with a lot of energy, that is a workout by itself. You know, so um, I I take them here and there. You know, like like I I also like. Um, go and explore crypto. So my time is spent on a screen, you know, just like a full-time uh, employee, but I can just like switch projects anytime I want. I can walk in and out. When I say that I'm retired, you know, and, and looking at the amount of work I put into crypto, um, I don't know what, what the term is, but 
I can walk away anytime, like, like I said, you know, but I'm just compelled to come back and, and kind of uh, control the entire space, you know? So it's not like, like I have to go to work, <laughs> but in my mind, I must do it. Otherwise, um, the space isn't going to turn out the way that I want it to, you know? Tetra, you, you, you're big into decentralization, obviously, and you mentioned it. Yeah. Is there some tension there with someone controlling this space? Uh, tension with someone controlling the space? I wouldn't say like, like tension with someone controlling the space as, as much as like, you know, it's, it's uh, well, right now the space is growing and it's, it's not a zero sum game, you know, like, like we can create a lot of value through collaboration, you know, like let's just say like the two DAOs that I'm working closest with is Dopex and JPEG, you know, they can form like, like they can feature products of each other. Like Dopex can create like, like some options and calls on, on uh, JPEGs, like U S dollar yields, you know, that, that would create a market from and JPEG, can onboard like like certain like dopex uh, nfts you know or collectibles that that can be monetized you know so uh, we may or might, may not be working on that so maybe i'm leaking stuff that i'm not even supposed to or maybe i can just conjure it out of thin air because like i'm i'm the advisor right but my data way is is basically uh, being a full-time parent you know and and taking the kids places here and there and or uh, going in and, and sort of advising the space and shaping it the one, the way I, I want it to be shaped. Right. And it always comes down to max trustlessness and decentralization right now. The biggest problem facing every single DAO right now is that our whole system, you know, is, is dependent on USDC or USDT, either of those two. And it's very dangerous because at any given time, you know, like the, the circle, the organization circle behind USCC has to obey by OFAC, you know, because it's a national security uh, concern. So their hands are tied. What happens is what, what happens if the second wave of flutters is, is given out and, and these are the address under sanction, it, it just happens to be like some of the Dallas treasury. You know, so it may or may not happen, but it's, it's a talent event that we, we all have to consider. So I'm advising everyone to go into stable coins with, with the least trust assumption. And that's the only way that the space can move forward without having like, like another CD5 meltdown because USDC is CD5. Yeah. Got it. Um, I'm going to pull out some of these from Twitter. And uh, if there's anything you want to skip, let us know. But there's nothing too crazy in here. Um, this was asked in 17 different ways, but I'll just ask from <laughs> River Salop asked price prediction in 10 years for ETH. And there's, you know, a few iterations of that. And again, yeah. I will preface this and say the podcast is called No Investment Advice. Yeah. But your answer to that. <laughs> Not financial advice. Uh, just a bet with my own money. Six figure Ethereum, you know, in terms of USD. Pretty plain and simple. So after one cycle or two, after the merge, after the scaling is, is fulfilled, you know, after a hundred thousand transactions per second, then after Ethereum has flipped in Bitcoin and after Ethereum becomes one Bitcoin or, or more, then six figures is expected. You know, after the protocols, monetary uh, policies is ossified. So there's, there's a lot of 
you know, stuff to check off. But if it fulfills a promise, then, um, yeah. I know you so, say you don't celebrate, but if Ethereum flips Bitcoin, <laughs> how many Happy Meals are you purchasing <laughs> for the house? <laughs> um, happy Meals for the extended family. How's that? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, You're boiling yeah, out. I have a lot Everyone's of getting a Happy Meal. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next one, Bilal. All right, so that one. Um, another question from Haunt. He said, uh, were you ever close to dumping your ETH during the 2018-19 bear market? And if not, what kept you, what kept him having so much conviction in ETH after a 90% drawdown? I think we kind of touched on it earlier. But yeah, was there anything specific to that question? Uh, wishing that I'd sold ETH during the drawdown. The answer is no. Because in my mind, ETH is always valued at 10,000 or higher. Even during you know, the, the 2016 Dow half, even during like the, the 2018 meltdown. So as an investor, it's like, okay, am I going to sell ETH at, say, 100 bucks? And I would still be in profit. And the answer is, is no. So my conviction is, is like uh, unbudging. It, it's not dependent on, on what people are saying or, or how the market sentiment is. It's, it's independent of that. It's just my internal, you know, like, like uh, thesis. Cool. There's just no way. Yeah. All right. Next one was from Dino Finance. He said, <laughs> <laughs> we've got some cool names in here. Uh, at Dino Finance says, what is a project or use case that hasn't been created or done successfully yet, but that you'd like to see happen? Hmm. That is a very good question. Hmm. It's not as much of a project as a use case as I'd like to see the entire financial infrastructure backed by the blockchain. You know, when we talk about decentralization, decentralization isn't, you know, just merely peer-to-peer. -peer. Decentralization is a superset of both like, like central banking and individual members, you know, and, and so you have a choice. Whereas in, in sort of TradFi or Web 2.0, you do not. You know, you're always trusting some entity like Google, you're trusting like the Bank of America, you know, where your money's going, either that or cash, you know, cash is peer to peer. So if the entire infrastructure of decentralization, or sorry, the entire infrastructure of finance is on the blockchain, then the user has a choice and it becomes easier for money to move around, you know, and, and the state would have like like would not incur like that 10% uh, gdp inefficiency that that we see today you know that that's draining a lot of uh, livelihoods cool. yeah so every product you know every product that that's coming out should move us closer to that that total uh blockchain efficiency that 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 i want to see you know whether that's that's through financializing JPEG, you know, or having decentralization options such as Dopex. Dopex. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a quick follow-up question to that? Because I think a lot of the biggest crypto people I've spoken to, including yourself and Michael Saylor and others, well, I think the first thing you will obviously always talk about is decentralization because that is the premise of the whole space. Right. But as we go from a one to two trillion dollar market cap industry to a hundred trillion or more, so a hundred x from today, do you feel like the regular person cares about decentralization, or is that just us hardcore people who are in it and we're geeking out over all the details? 
and what kind of needs to happen for people to actually care because a lot of people don't know how email works they don't know how you know http works either so i'm curious like if you you've obviously thought about this but how important is decentralization to a regular person probably not very important like if you're holding like like anything less than uh five figures which is like the majority of the world you know then decentralization doesn't matter but having 24 7 access to your finance does matter you know not not lining up uh, in the middle of a bank run matters so crypto is anti-fragile is that in that it thrives in uh, in hardship you know in in sort of uh, stress and and uh, moments of hardship so we've seen it in in bank runs in in cyprus uh, uh, um, we've seen it in, in a lot of countries where inflation is out of control, like, like Venezuela, right? And right now, even in, in some Western countries where we're facing double-digit inflation, it becomes more important that we hold the money that, that we do. Um, most people don't care about decentralization. They just want to keep like, like, you know, their, their uh, bank account intact. And there are ways when, in which we can administer that with crypto. Mm. that's fair yeah great sure uh, next one here this is uh from cold Wait, fire i got one go on. let me, go i got on. one on. bruce uh on the because i didn't know if you're gonna do this one but i had to do it as the very top one i saw here what dishwashing skills can be equally applied to trading <laughs> i saw um, that one that was good. i've never heard that one hmm. <laughs> okay well in trading most traders lose trade lose more trades you know then they, they win trades. Anyone else uh, claiming otherwise, it's, it's either like, like a top 100 percenter, you know, or, or a liar. So in dishwashing, you get dealt a lot of garbage. You get dealt with a lot of shit, you know, and sometimes a drain clog. What's important is that, you know, how you deal with it in the aftermath, you know. Also, like like the uh, the sizing of, of of the load is, is also important in, in trade too, right? With washing dishes, <laughs> so you don't want to the dishwasher. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to clog up the, the drain even more. It's going to clog up, and you're going to have to deal with with like you know hot steam and and people's food in your face. I knew, sounds I like knew. a book in the making yeah man. i was about to <laughs> say like bruce probably thought it was a joke so like, no no tetra's thought about this well tetra yeah. I, I wanted to add to your point about the trade so jim simons uh considered by many to be the best hedge fund trader of all time renaissance technologies um he's doing like 50 percent a year for two decades also had problems with the irs but that's neither here nor there he said uh you can build a hundred billion dollar fortune uh, which is what his hedge fund obviously did uh, by only winning 50.7% of trades. So a little over half, but yeah. every single time you win those trades, you're 100% sure you're going to win. That's how they did it with, uh, although some people think there's some sketchiness, but I think Renaissance is pretty next level. But we just watch billions, man. We're not people yeah. be in the field counting sheep yeah. and all that crazy <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yo, Renaissance technology don't need to count sheep, man. They got something uh, crazier than that. Um, yeah, yeah. What are the questions were there? um this one was from cold fire asked what was your biggest win in 24 hours i'm assuming that means some sort of trade or you know upside in buying something um biggest win in 24 hours well you know like i have kids and my kids are my biggest win of Boom. all time 
There we go. There yeah. we go. Drop the mic on him. Yeah, he thought it was going <laughs> to be financial or a trade, right? My, my kids are great. You know, like like they have a lot of energy. You know, they they they're. Uh, well, I, I I'm very happy when when uh, when I see them and just uh, yeah. Fair fair answer. All right. Similarly, Wait, a more specific I got, one. On. I got one go here. On, go I got to shout out my boy. Sorry, Bilal. Go on. My boy uh, Bruno Faviero, who I used to work with at Kensho Technologies, writes. What's your most contrarian trade that you've that ever done? That was the one I had too. Yeah, yeah perfect. there we go. Yeah. That's a good question. Yep. So which okay. one was... Hold on, it, let me define know, contrarian. Just to make sure it's like you really went against the grain. So let's just make that explicit. Okay. So it was during like like the mini correction right before the, the sort of uh, Ethereum 2.0 upgrade in 2020, you know? Even the, the biggest trading firms were saying, you know, Bitcoin to 20K and Ethereum down to, to, to 300. And so I, I publicly said, I'm going to counter trade you. And so I did. And so the payoff was uh, after like, like, you know, it reaches like 3000 later, like my, my trade was vindicated. So I, my trading is based on my internal, like, like, uh, sort of investigation is not dependent on, on external entities. So I will, you know, go in my direction and sometimes it, it will coincide with what the masses think. Sometimes it might not, it might coincide with institutions that may not, but, you know, complete sovereignty and, and independence requires that. So whatever my judgment is, it, it has got to be coming from internal investigation. So that, that, that's why like, like, you know, all the entities, like, like sort of, I'm able to recruit like a lot of different entities in, into my private group. Right. Because I'm an actor of one, I'm not associated with anyone. And, you know, I have a long history, a long track record. And the incentive is that I'm not going to rug anyone. Cause if you've seen it on a blockchain, like I haven't had to change my lifestyle. And so I haven't had any lambos to flash, you know, I'm an operator. So whatever it is, I, after like, like, you know, after a certain sort of living standard, I pour everything in, into the space. Yeah. Um, the, this one was something we kind of touched on earlier, but I think it'll be interesting to get Jack and Trunks take on this too. But um, this was Faz, P-H-A-A-Z. Um, <laughs> uh, how many people have run the Tetra account? I'm assuming it means Twitter account. Right. Um, you don't have to answer that. Yeah, how do you think about visual storytelling and personal branding on social? What are your thoughts on pseudonymity? Yeah. So I can't even say the word this right now. This is good. This is good. Uh, currently, and what role will it play in the future? I completely butchered that word. Yeah. Um, but so maybe the two parts are the quick one. Has anyone else run yeah. your Twitter account? And then we can expand a bit more on storytelling and, and that part. Yeah. Okay, so so starting out with like personal branding, you know, like, like I, I started as like a shit poster on, on 4chan, you know, so I, I'd like to treat my public Twitter as some people treat their Twitter as like a LinkedIn account, you know, and, and to network, I just treat my Twitter as like, as like a 4chan rest stop. So I will post all kinds of things on there, you know, and, and uh, if anyone accuses me of like, Hey, you, you know, you're, you're sexist and racist that I tell them and you know, like, like I, I consider like those things, like, like personally, like from an image point of view, I'm just a villager, you know, and villagers will make all kinds of stupid and lewd jokes, you know, like, like, like if you're a city dwelling folk, you know, and, and, and you're kind of aware of, of this social movement and this social movement, fuck that, 
you know, like, like this, like the whole point of crypto is to become uncancelable. And so I'm a test case for that right now. Like, okay, you know, you can accuse me of this and that, but what are you going to do about it? You know? And so I'm staring in the face of, of like these, these, these things and, 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 you know, the, the woke movement and, and all the powers that be. And I'm saying, this is absolutely ridiculous. You know, I'm going to go my own way and I'm going to create my own brand and it may not be what you disagree with, but it's a free market. So, so either block me or move on, you know, and, and some people are, are just like, wow, 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 wow. Just shut your whining, just move on. You know, so that, that's, that's the whole gist of it. The whole gist of, of my, of my branding is, is, you know, it's a free market deal with it. So I have artists, you know, creating stuff for me. I collaborate and my account is, is, is with multiple people because I want like sometimes for, for people to discern like, like what's being posted and, and what's, what's being posted by me or what's being posted by someone else, you know, and that allows me a certain degree of freedom and, and anonymity, you know, where I can say, Oh, that's not me, you know, or that that's sometimes like me. So having multiple people on the account, you know, like, like some people like, like think Satoshi is a group and, and they may or may not be right, you know, but we'll never know the truth. So that's the same thing, Tetranode, you know, like the next time you go in a Tetranode interview, it might be someone else. Oh, that's what I was about to ask. Yeah, is there more it's just one? a real Tetranode. You never know. Maybe I'm, I'm the <laughs> spokesperson, you know, like, like it's always good for, for someone like me to have a decoy. All right. So this is, this ties into the pseudonymity then. So, I mean, you've actually expanded the idea of pseudonymity here. You're saying like yeah. multiple, like this avatar could be multiple people, could be anything. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm not afraid of being doxxed. It's just like, it's, it's an irreversible thing. And, and I prefer to be anonymous because, you know, like, like, like I said before, there's, there's people much higher and more significant than me who's, who's doxxed. So, yeah, the, 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 you might even say the richest person in the world, uh, post memes yeah, all day on Twitter. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, I, I pay my taxes and, and I'm living like a quiet life. So there's, there's no, there's nothing for me to. All right, so that's that's why I'm I'm able to just like you know unfit to lead. Yeah. Okay. Texas could ask a question that I wanted to ask way earlier, which relates to this. And uh, again, I know whatever you're happy to share because um, I don't know where you live, I don't know what country you're in, but I can hear. You. It sounds like you've got an Americanish accent as well. So um, yeah. my question is around. You know, we talked about like worst case scenario, doomsday government seizing your property sort of vibes a bit earlier and i was curious to get your take on where you choose to live and like do you have any fears of again without revealing your location necessarily with the u.s specifically because that's where uh me and jack live there obviously trung lives in canada right um i'm curious your take specifically on the u.s because it is still the world superpower and i'm curious if you know, you'd mentioned the what movement and the political stuff. Um, yeah. Would that ever make you think I don't want to be in America if you are? Um, you know, like, like as bad as I criticize, like what, you know, like the culture and, and the policies are happening in America, it looks like it's a lot worse, like, like in certain other parts of the world. Like if you look at Europe's and, and their private, their invasion of privacy, you know, and, and their encroachment on citizen rights, so I think ultimately the U.S. is like the last bastion, you know, of freedom that, that if it comes down to that, we're the last bastion of freedom. And if, if we do not fight for that, then there is no place in the world that we can run to, you know, like, like that's, uh, yeah, I could be wrong, you know, but 
the other part is that if we go to war, we got to find a place where nukes don't fall on us. And I don't think the U.S. would, would be like, like a, a safe place. You know, like uh, I would have to do my research on that. All right, fair, so, fair point. Two, point, two points, like, like the freedom of expression, you know, the freedom to privacy, the U.S. will be the last bastion, you know, before everything falls to a global totalitarian, you know, entities like, like the World Economic Forum. Um, the other is physical safety. You know, let's just say that, that we're going to war, then uh, I don't think the U.S., you know, is, is a good place because... <laughs> Well, you better I, find a place I, I where, where fallout, and, and that's probably in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I was just gonna say America is like a, the perfect island. It's uh, it's very difficult to attack, but obviously the coast will be hit in yeah. a nuclear exchange. Um, let's yeah. let's hope that doesn't happen. The, but I, I also have like a comment too. You know, like like the same sort of mentality that resists like, like COVID vaccines. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, I'm vaccinated for, for COVID as well. And I think that's, that's a legitimate concern, but there is something in that sort of, you know, rugged individualism, individualism in America, you know, that keeps us from falling into a tyranny, right? The same sort of mentality that we don't, tr that we don't trust the authority is going to save us in the very long run. So I think that there's an element of anti-fragility in that, and that cannot be ignored. Yeah, America has been able to reinvent itself a, a number of times in its uh, yeah. 250 plus years. Um, guys, I'm gonna have to boogie. Yeah. Can we do one last question each? No, I was gonna say that I've, yeah, those are the two questions pretty much done anyway. So uh, if you have any other questions you two can ask, yeah. or Tetra, if you have a question for us, you're also welcome to ask as well. Tetra, can I ask you a question first? Sure, sure. Can you throw us uh, a book recommendation? Uh, you obviously are a very interesting dude and uh, well, historically well-read. Do you have a favorite book and is it a history book? Okay. So when I was like in eighth grade, you know, I, I stumbled across this book, you know, from uh, reading Newsweek magazine and it's called like the 48 Laws of Power. Oh yep. yeah, Robert Greene. Yeah, Robert Greene. So, you know, continuing on with, with this series, like, like you know, the, what's it? Yeah, there's there's just like a series of book about like like power seduction of war. So those those are the book that I kind of grew up in. So, did you ever read uh, Fifty Cents version? Fifty Laws. He added two <laughs> laws to Robert Greene's book. I don't know if you guys remember this, but what <laughs> other two? I haven't. I yeah. It's like the Ten Crack Commandments yeah. by Biggie. <laughs> no, legitimately, like yeah, <laughs> right. you Google fifty uh, Robert Greene and Fifty Cent, they made a book together. Uh, That's hilarious. Yeah. Jack, do you have a book? I mean, oh, sorry, I mean, question. Like, like you know, the other book, the other book aside from Robert Greene's series is is uh, the Millionaire Next Door. You know, so it's a book that that gives like a dozen different cases of of uh, one idea: do not spend more than you make. No. So that's the only financial book that I read, seriously, coming into this. And the rest could be learned from like, you know, playing games like SimCity 2000, you know, and managing limited resources. StarCraft, where you're playing like zero-sum games and managing limited resources. And so all of those lessons carried over into DeFi, where I'm able to just like, you know, command like, like 
like a handful of DAOs that I, I then, you know, just, yeah, operate in. And the, the uh, group that I'm in, uh, we're called frogs and orcas, right? And there's three of us, right? There's, there's me, Chatra node, and there's like uh, TZ top Chad, which is like, like a founder of uh, Dopex. And then there's, uh, DeFi frog, you know, like, like this clown frog profile picture, this clown frog guy, right. Very base. One of the uh, most hilarious individuals I've ever met, you know, like, like his, his, uh, creativity is, is, is one of the best in the business and Tzok Chad, he's, he's like, you know, a quant genius and, and a, uh, solidity coders. One of the, the founders, you know, who, who has both the technical, the market, and the execution knowledge, you know, like, like he's one of the best, like, like counter-strike players I've ever seen. So the three of us, what we have in common is that we started out as like 4chan shit posters. Right. And, and we kind of met on, on Twitter. It was like, you know, like, like, like we're, we're bound to meet given, given that, you know, and then, uh, we're, we're all financially independent. So we're well off enough where we're not going to create like protocols that rug the customer. And we're, we're very honest and upfront about our dealings. Like, like, like for me, a dollar is a dollar, you know, you do not like, like, like mess with that. And so from my honest accounting, from, from our, like, like, uh, ground up approach, we can, you know, then build a, a sense of trust and, and we can bounce ideas off of each other. And so I'm sort of like the, the meta DAO between like, like the, the JPEG DAO and the DOPEX DAO, you know, and I'll, I'll just leave it up to, to the, the audience on, on what that meta DAO, that Tetranode meta DAO means. But DOPEX is like, like one of the, the up and coming, you know, uh, options platform and options is a very big space, you know, like in traditional finance options is like trillions of dollars. And the majority of trades happens in options. Right. And so with DOPEX, we're building options, you know, like, like we're dealing with European options that allows people to, 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 to play options, you know, on, uh, the blockchain trustless, you know? So, um, with, with the options on Notebet, we're trying to make it as simple to the uh, user as possible. So we're, we're trying to go for the farming and, and, and sort of DeFi native crowd. You know, let's just say that you think Ethereum is going to crash back down to 1500. You know, it's like, oh my God. But if you market sold, if you were a very big player and you market sold, you know, you would be taking on risks that you wouldn't otherwise. Like, how do I leverage 100X, you know? And so you do it through options. And you don't need to know about like, like the Greek stuff, like, like the, uh, like the Delta, you know, theta and, and Vega and so on. Like, like I personally know it, but I just am bad at implication of, of, uh, putting it to use. All I know is if the market is correcting, I need to buy some puts. Right. And so that's what DopeX does. And so it's, it's, uh, coming out with, with this, uh, it just came out with this recent product called the Atlantic straddle means that it's able to package both puts and call into one uh, single transaction where if you're buying that Atlantic straddle as, as a customer, then you're protected from volatility or you bought, you benefit from volatility and the option writer would benefit from that volatility as well. You know, provided that it's on the upside and not downside because downside, everyone uh, loses money except for the callers. 
That's so, perfect. Um, yeah, so we're we're hosting like 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 a bunch of stuff like like Dopex is about to come out with with like this uh, stablecoin called DPX USD, and it's all part of our movement, you know, to move away from centralized uh, entities that 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 have these stablecoins that that may be blacklisted, and uh, yeah, we're trying <laughs> well, to the, create the clock's going on, man. What's going on? <laughs> so I was gonna yeah. say we couldn't hear you as as well because of the. Is yeah, it a clock the, or a yeah, chat? Yeah, my, my, yeah. my parents' uh, clock is, is set to, to that, you know. So <laughs> That's hilarious. Here I am in, in my parents' basement, you know, just, just talking to you guys. Fair yeah, enough. So I started out as as like someone, you know, in, in their parents' basement. So uh, I, I guess like like I haven't gone over like like how it occurred where, where my living standard, you know, went from here to there. So in 2014 on Martin Luther King, my place, you know, that I had four hundred dollars a month uh, paid upon the, the room that I rented from from somebody in in like a ghetto part of the neighborhood, got burglarized. So my laptop was was stolen and everything else. So I moved back to my parents, and so that's when I was able to save up and and uh, save up for crypto. So instead of like you know, uh, what what do you call it? Instead of like uh, the cost of living, you know, while you're working on minimum wage. The, there's, there's not a whole lot, lot of room to save, but if you go back to your parents, you know, and, and just raise their fridge, it becomes easier for you oh, to yeah. save up, you know? <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. And so, yeah, if I was successful, it, it's because I moved back to my parents. Um, uh, that's one part of it. So I, I kind of repaid them with, with like this house. And so now I'm in their basement, but it's, it's not the same thing, you know, from basement to basement is, is what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's then that, that's uh, was searching the things in two generations. But uh, Jack, do you have a last question? Because um, I got to take my kid to lunch. I myself. was gonna ask, uh, when did you buy your first CryptoPunk? Uh, it was just a year ago. I mean, like I got the CryptoPunk, you know, and the price is very high, but um, I liked it, so I'm not selling it. So it's, it's partially like like there's an attachment to it after you buy it too, you know, it becomes you. It, it's really hard to I know it very well. I Jack's very got well. a couple, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're very emotionally nice. attached uh, objects, despite the, the media FUD you were, were exposed to. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, the crypto stunk has price because everyone is like saying, we're not going to sell it, you know, below like a certain threshold and, and, and you can't have this, you know? So, CryptoPunks is, is all about like NFT in general is, is all about status seeking. So if you're having this profile, you know, and everyone else has this profile, and if a celebrity has this profile, then you're part of an exclusive club, right? That's what CryptoPunk is. Same thing with BC. You know, you see Eminem having like like a bored ape, you know, and you see like like some I forgot like what's a basketball player name, but you see like a couple of like, Steph, like basketball stars, you know, having it, you want to have it too. Yeah. So they were very good. Basie was very good in distributing like, like, uh, their, some of their NFTs to celebrities. Um, yeah, but the, the attention economy is amazing. And, and I think, um, that that's, that's definitely, we can make it into DeFi. It's part of DeFi an extension of DeFi. Love it, man. Holy well, smokes, man. man. That thanks was marathon. Thanks no, this has been amazing, man. And thanks for coming on. We've, this is definitely, I think, the longest one we've done, right, boys? This is the longest one. Well worth it. I think Sailor was close, but we've gone, uh, we've gone over the Sailor one. So 
Yeah. Thanks again for being and giving us so much time. And we, we've been really active in the DMs, getting some yeah. prep going for this. And we appreciate you coming on, man. And if you're yeah. new here, you're listening for the first time, make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Uh, we do this every Wednesday normally. This is coming out a day early, t- tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, touching on anything else to, to leave people with before we, before we let Trungo get his lunch with his kid? Yeah, so... I guess like one thing I have to tell like the audience is that no matter where you are, just do something, anything. If you do something that's wrong, then you'll know what not to do next time. But ultimately just do something about it. If you can't, you know, if you don't know what, what crypto is, then you can go back and, and learn like basic math, you know, from there. You can learn like algebra and from algebra, you can learn like, like, you know, the upper stuff and eventually hit it into the cryptography. But those are the basic building blocks, you know, like brick by brick, just do something, anything, you know? And so even if you're not coding, you can build something. Um, yeah. So just build a solid core. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, I'd like to thank um, Jack, Bilal, and and Trung for having me on board and and, uh, having the patience to put up with uh, some of my rambles. No, this is amazing, man. We we really appreciate it, dude. Yeah. But yeah, Tetra, I really appreciate you coming on. Let's, let's, let's on DM. for six-figure yeah. Ethereum you, uh, as well, right? You'll speak more in the future because I, I feel like, <laughs> like you know, this this two or three hour has gone by in the flash of an eye and I Definitely. have so much more to, to talk about. But I understand everyone has, has the... Even, you know, I have my kids to attend to. So hopefully they, they didn't just like flip over the furniture while, while yeah. I was gone. Well, I think we all got to get back to the kids now. So thanks, guys. Uh, we're Boogie. Thanks, Tetra. Peace, Jack and Bilal. Have a nice good one, job. boys. Thank Cheers, you. Tetra. We'll, we'll send this to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.